People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome to this special Bono episode of Anime Baby. This is your host, someone who thinks idols and mechs shouldn't mix, Mikey. And to we to address a certain big giant elephant in the room, yes, it has been a while since you've all heard my dulcet tones. Uh, long story short, I've been feeling burnt out earlier this year. I needed a break from podcasting, and I think I definitely made the most of that break. In particular. I connected with and became besties with a certain super awesome girl who's joining me as my co-host for this episode. Ladies, gentlemen, and NBs, please give a big welcome to Miss Icicle Prism! Hi, hello everybody! I think this is my first time actually showing my voice on the internet, so hello! It should be a, vo a series that has musical connotations to it. <laughs> Hey, all right. Happy to have you on board. Like I mentioned before, one of the biggest things that uh, has happened since uh, the last time I did a podcast, or like even the last time I uh, added something to the Anime Baby feed was uh, you and I becoming friends. Like, how about that? Yeah, I know. It, it happened so randomly. Like, I think I saw you just on someone's timeline and just thought, oh, this guy seems cool. I'll just reply some stuff. And yeah, like eventually we just connected, right? <laughs> yeah, like uh, we definitely found out that we had some stuff in common, particularly stuff like uh, Pretty Cure or... Uh, the big thing around the time was uh, Watagiri, or uh, Yuri is my job in English. Yeah, because I saw next to no one posting about that besides, like, Ruby, so... That was exciting to see someone else into it, because no one else was talking about it. And also just, like, uh, I just noticed, like, uh, oh, you followed me, and I noticed, like, oh, uh, Ruby, at uh, Passion Tentacle on Twitter, uh, she follows you too. I decided to, like, look at your profile a bit, and I thought, oh, this girl seems pretty cool. She likes Watagiri, pretty Kira as well. So it gave you a follow, and then it just kind of... Uh, it kind of started off with like us just kind of liking some of our tweets back and forth. Then it turned into like sending some uh, replies back and forth. And then all of a sudden we're just like DMing each other. Then eventually you got onto line. And then now we're just like full on besties hanging out, like watching anime every day since like the start of eight August. Yeah, we watched so much stuff together. Like it started with What Are Yuri Weekly. Then we moved on to, was it Review? Uh, yeah, it was Watsuyuri Weekly, and then after you got back from Otakon, it was uh, Review Starlight uh, pretty much every day for like a week, and then we started transitioning into more like uh, other, other anime, and then now here we are recording your first podcast here. Exactly. So, yeah, it's been a great ride here. We gel on a lot of opinions, as I'm sure the listeners will soon see. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Like, uh, one of the things that uh, we both definitely noticed during our uh, nightly hangouts is that uh, we bring, like, a certain uh, chaotic energy out of each other just because we have just such amazing chemistry together. <laughs> yeah, like, you no, know, the usual dynamic is 
you're kind of the excited one, and then there's kind of a more mellow person to bring it down. There's gonna be no straight man in this podcast. <laughs> no, not at all. Like uh, it's just gonna be us two, and uh, I gotta say, you know, I feel good getting back into podcasting again, especially with someone as amazing as you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. And uh, yeah, don't worry, folks. Ryan and I will be back to podcasting together soon enough. And uh, that Love Live School Idol movie episode is uh, still on the horizon. You know, just like Cody Rhodes, we're, we are going to finish the story. <laughs> but first, Prism and I have a different story to finish as this special episode is all about Symphogear. Uh, <laughs> uh, Woo! Listen to my song! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a taste of the amount of chaos we're gonna have here <laughs> oh just a just a little taste but uh yeah like uh cue all the sinful gear nerds just losing your, their shit at me announcing that like oh my god it's simple gear holy shit yeah i'd like to just preface this um at the start by saying i really wanted to love this show because on paper this should be exactly the thing that i love it has cute girls it has idols in it it has good action it has a fun cast but just we'll get into why it didn't gel later yeah and like uh, i definitely feel the same too about that one like all the pieces are there like this should be kind of like an anime equivalent of like a reese's peanut butter cup you know chocolate and peanut butter going together but it does not work despite how many fans say like it totally works or how you should always hashtag watch symphal gear like it does not, and you'll all hear about it soon enough. And trust me, we watched Sinful Gear. We gave it two seasons. We gave it two seasons, and we watched the first season twice. Yeah, we saw it last two days here. We just rewatched it just for this. <laughs> yeah, at the at the time of this recording, like, uh, here's a little uh, peek behind the curtain for y'all at home. Uh, usually when uh, we're prepping for, like, a regular Anime Baby episode, at least uh, me personally, I usually take about a eh, week, week and a half to, like, watch everything, you know, get my notes together for the show we're going to cover. Uh, for this one, we kind of blammed through this one. Uh, we watched this together, and we blammed through it in, like, two nights. Yeah, we saw episodes one to five uh, two nights ago, and then we saw the rest of it last night. So this is very fresh in our minds. I like to be very meticulous with my notes, but for this one, it's like, you'll come to see where it's like, uh, there are points where it's just like, I kind of have nothing to say about this show. But also, there are times where I have, like, tons of things to say, because... Uh, well, well, you, you'll all see. Of course. <laughs> but first things first, who's ready for story time with Anime Bebe? So a little background on uh, Sinfogear here, as uh, Sinfogear was the brainchild of one Noriyasu Agematsu, who mostly works as a music producer and composer for a bunch of different anime and video games. And as soon as I saw that, everything started to make sense. Like, of course, the guy behind this series of all things is just working primarily in music. And you may have heard some of his music in such shows as Girls Bravo, Rosario Plus Vampire, Garay Zero, hey, that's at least something good, Utano Prince-sama, Bodacious Space Pirates, <laughs> Bang Dream. Oh, that's, that's close to where we are. Yeah, though, uh, I don't know if he's working on my go, though. Not sure. And he also worked on That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime. Oh, that's a big one. And finally, last but not least, or probably least, depending on who you are, uh, one of the most mid-idol animes of all time, Idol Master Cinderella Girls. Come at me, Idol Master fans. <laughs> I love how much that's just been a meme throughout the whole podcast. 
<laughs> right? Just like uh, ever since like uh, when did that start? I think it started with like Zombieland Saga as like our first idol anime where like at that I just kind of started like a feud with like idol fans who like things outside of uh, Love Live and Zombieland Saga where I just call anything that's not those mid because they they are. Tell me when I'm telling lies. <laughs> well, I have no opinion on that because I've only seen Love Live, Zombieland and a few other ones. So I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Yeah, at least you've seen the good ones, so you know what I'm talking about. Of course. <laughs> and a little bit more background on Simple Gear, as it actually started off as a manga, which started in November 2011, which was most likely made to help promote the anime, which started a couple months later in January 2012, and ran until the end of March. And I looked at that timeline, and God, this was released during my senior year of high school, and I'm so glad I never discovered this back then because I probably would have been into it because I was like that as a, a young teenage boy. I mean, to be fair, I can definitely see why this would just be the show that, say, a 14 to 18-year-old would just adore. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's the most anime anime that would have been airing at the time, and, like, nothing would have been like it, so it would have seemed kind of fresh and new, but uh, considering but we're seeing this with, like, uh, 2023 eyes, it doesn't it doesn't really feel that way nowadays. Yeah, because, like, what could you even compare it to way back then? You had all the big shonen, which you know, didn't usually have a primarily female cast. So, yeah, to a normal, like, Toonami watcher, this would just be, like, a bright ray of sunshine. Yeah, it's just be all like, oh, my gosh, like, I, I've never seen this before. There's music, there's girls in mech suits. Like, th th this is crazy. But, but uh, thankfully, I, I, I avoided all that, thankfully. And the anime itself was produced by the studio Satellite, Inc., which has done a bunch of anime that uh, I've either never heard of or seen. Though, uh, not entirely, as they also did uh, that one Haruhi Suzumiya spinoff, The Disappearance of Nagato Yuki-chan, which was a big disappointment, in all honesty, like I never finished it. Oh no. And they also did uh, Sakugan, which was a show I remember people talking a lot about when it came out, like a couple years ago, but then everyone just immediately forgot about it and moved on from it once it ended. <laughs> So it seems like this was their biggest hit. Yeah, definitely. Though, uh, well, arguably could be one of their biggest hit because uh, they also worked on the first 175 episodes of Fairy Tale with A1 Pictures. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised to see that in doing my research, but the more I thought about it, the more it made a lot of sense that that's like, oh, of course, the fairy tale people worked on this show. Like, their fingerprints are all over this. It kind of also fits because in Habiki's Transformations, you get kind of the same, like, uh, was it Irish music? I don't know which type of genre it is, but yeah. Yeah, Irish, Scottish, like, definitely bagpipe music. Yeah, it gets kind of the same, like, feel for that. So I can really see how that would translate. And the series itself is directed by Tatsufumi Ito, who mostly does work as a key animator, episode director, and storyboarder. And uh, his only other directorial work is for this series called Shugo Kara Party, which is some magical girl shoujo series that I've never heard about until I saw this in the research. Party? Yeah, I've seen a bit of Shugo Chara, and I think Cardi is the uh, spinoff, I believe? I haven't seen to that oh. point yet, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Would you say Shugo, Shugo Kara is, like, any any good or anything like that? Um, I watched it a few years ago, and I definitely loved it at the time, just because 
I adored Amu as a protagonist. I just kind of got about, like, I wasn't a big fan of the main love interest because he's quite a bit older than her, let's just say. Yeah, he's a cat boy who's very sus. <laughs> okay, it kind of comes into one of my other favorite animes, Heart Catch Precure, because they're both about making people who transform into monsters and you got to purify them. So uh, the heart flowers and then the eggs with Shugochara. So I'm enjoying them both in that aspect. Oh, okay. At least there's at least there's somewhat of like a a connection or at least a bit of an influence there. Oh, definitely. And uh, the cast in Shugochara is definitely very fun to watch do their antics, snowboard down a mountain and <laughs> all the antics. <laughs> okay. That, okay. That, that at least sounds cute, though. And the writer for Simpho Gear is Akifumi Kaneko, who is uh, also credited as the co-creator of the series. And uh, when looking at their credits on ANN, pretty much the only thing they've ever done is just write for all the Sinful Gear seasons, and that's it. I guess that's their uh, their passion. I guess so. They just uh, really like working on this series and just don't want to work on anything else, or at least isn't offered to work on anything else. It's nice that they were able to keep going even after the studio changes and stuff. That is very true, you know, at least keeping uh, some kind of consistency there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the series itself is licensed by Crunchyroll for streaming and by Big Daddy Discotheque for home media. And uh, I definitely remember some of those uh, old uh, discotheque panels and streams where, like, they announced Sinfo Gear and just everyone online is just losing it. Just going, oh my god, they got Sinfo Gear! Yeah, I actually went to the Sinfo Gear panel at Otakon this year. And <laughs> I felt like I was in a room full of football hooligans. They were so, like, into it. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I have to make someone to bring out like a, one of those rattles. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very fun atmosphere. Oh yeah, like a perfect perfect transition into the next part where uh, I want to talk more about our her personal histories with uh, hearing about Sinful Gear. So uh, yeah, you went to a panel at uh, Oticon uh, this past uh, July, and uh, how how was that like that whole experience? I'll preface this by saying I don't remember much of it because I was very sleep deprived at the time. So <laughs> not the best way to experience a panel. But uh, he basically went through a lot of the, the points you just made, uh, how it was made, who the major players, why it didn't take off in the West, which was he said it was lack of a dub, lack of any anti-tubers pushing it besides Gigguk. There's issues of trying to get it in the mainstream compared to a lot of other things. Kind of a meme that... It's always been the niche series, but you know, it, it kind of gives a sense of community to the, the very loyal fan base. So, you know, I admire that at least. But uh, yeah, the panel stuff was very fun. Uh, he played tons of uh, clips of the show, and it's just as insane as you all would imagine it was. Uh, <laughs> lots of later season stuff. Played that, oh, okay. uh, that space shuttle thing that's in season three that we haven't seen yet, unfortunately. And... <laughs> Everybody was yelling about their best girls, of course. Lots of Chris's, lots of Tubasa's. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, best girl, Miku. Oh, oh, 100%. Like, uh, y'all at home are going to hear us sing Miku's praises and what we feel she deserves better. Oh, very much so. <laughs> Which we'll get to that, trust us. Yeah. But yeah, it was a fun panel, and yeah, they did a very good job selling the show, I think. <laughs> that's why we're here. <laughs> Yeah, right, because uh, I remember, like, uh, you know, like you mentioned before, like, uh, with Simfo, it's kind of like a big internet meme of, like, uh, this uh, community of, of fans just uh, trying to get people to watch it, you know, 
watch Sinfo Gear has just become the big running joke for like the past 10 years now. Yeah, and in theory, I as a Magic Girl fan, I always see people praising it in the same vein as like they say, watch Nanoha, watch Sinfo Gear. They kind of seem like in that same vein. And while I haven't seen a lot of Nanoha, I enjoyed what I did see. So I was thinking, oh, it's Nanoha with uh, singing. That sounds amazing. And I put out a Twitter poll saying, what shall I watch? Magia Record, Nanoha, or Sinfo Gear? Sinfo Gear blew all the other two out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I remember seeing that. Like, it just ran away with the poll. Yeah, and like all of our friends who are into similar media are also into Sinfo Gear. So I was thinking, oh, this is a safe bet. Why didn't I start this before? It's also definitely one of those things where it's like, you hear about it too much to the point where like, uh, I feel like for me, at least out of, out of spite, I kind of didn't want to watch it. Like, uh, uh -huh. I definitely remember there was a time where, uh, where people were just like constantly tweeting out, watch Sinfo Gear to the point where I actually muted the phrase, watch Sinfo Gear and Sinfo Gear on my Twitter. So I never had to see it. Oh, it's same here. Just because it got such the point where it's just like, Okay, instead of just saying watch Sinful Gear, sell me on it. Like, why is it there? Like, perfect parallel. I said I was going to watch My Go, the new Bandery show, for a while. But what got me to watch was someone on Twitter saying, uh, this show has uh, a girl texting her girlfriend a hundred times that she is sorry, and then looking up if she can find out if she's blocked or not. Like, that right there says a lot about a show and I love Disaster Girls, so right into it. Yes, like, oh my gosh, like, I saw that too, and I'm just all like, okay, okay, you're, you're winning me over, uh, my Go fans. So, like, I wish the Sinful Gear fans did something like that, you know, like, go into more specifics outside of, like, songs and best girls and stuff like that, you know, surface-level stuff. Yeah, because I think I can speak of both of us that we love just disaster characters just bumping into each other. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that's another thing we've come to discover, it's like, we do have similar tastes in, like, certain characters and stuff like that. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, so that's my history with uh, Sinful Gear, just a show that's been in the background and always been on my to-do list, just just for my critical spectrum, I feel. You know, I was kind of, there was a time where, like, I was thinking Sinful Gear was just going to be one of those shows that I would never, ever watch, but I think we had a conversation about that where we both kind of discovered, like, oh, we both heard so much about Sinfo Gear and that we both didn't really want to watch it because it just, everyone was just like saying to watch it but not giving any good reasons. And then it just kind of like, the stars kind of aligned there, you know, you put out that poll there and we were starting to hang out more and more, watch anime every night. And then it's like, hey, we just finished Review Starlight. Let's do Sinfo Gear. Why not? Yeah, in retrospect, that might have been a bad decision just because that's also a series about Disaster Girls, uh, fighting each other in spectacular fashion while singing. And yep. if you're preparing Symphigator Review Starlight, at least if your taste like mine, it doesn't compare. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, I said to Mikey before, but if Review Starlight is going to the theaters for a heart-wrenching play, uh, watching Symphigator is like going to a block party with tons of liquor and fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh it, it's exactly like that which both have their appeals but you know <laughs> you know that that first viewing of sinfo gear i will say that was a very magical experience you and i watching that for the first time and just being both blown away and just kind of 
flabbergasted at what we were seeing, like the audacity that someone made this. <laughs> well, we were very just like baffled by the whole experience. And we just didn't know where we were just going because, well, if you want to go into the uh, the tonal stuff later while we go episode by episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll definitely dive deeper in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it felt like very much like almost so bad it's good, but we were also enjoying it in really traditional ways at some points. It was a very bizarre experience. Yeah, it was. Like, there were moments where it kind of started to win us over a bit, but then, like, it would just go hard right into something that kind of, like, uh, just ruined the stuff beforehand, but then they did some stuff where it's just, like, I could not believe what they were doing right here. Like, like someone had to think of this and write this and then animate this. Like, it was it was all kinds of insanity. Yeah, so let's uh, maybe move into some specifics so that the audience isn't kept at the edge of their seats. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think we're ready to dive into the madness, so... Uh... With all that out of the way, we're talking all about Sinfogear Season 1. So without further ado, let's start the show. First things first is the opening and the ending. The opening is Synchro Gazer by Nana Mizuki, and the ending is Meteor Light by Ayahi Takagaki. Uh, what do you think about these, Prism? Uh, the opening, we had a lot of fun with because that opening, like, <laughs> I don't know what it's called, <laughs> but that opening scream was very, like, <laughs> fun to watch. And Oh, you, do you want to give uh, the folks at home a little uh, taste of that? <laughs> you mean, like, the start? <laughs> Listen to, to my song! song. <laughs> no, uh, the singing itself is great. I wasn't really a fan of the, I don't know if it was auto-tune, but it was something they were doing with the lyrics there for a while, which, to be fair, it was, what, 2012? That was in the Vogue at the time, so I can't be too hard on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, uh, of course, that's the one of the biggest strengths of Simple Gear. It has an all-star freaking voice cast here. Oh, yeah. Mizuki, (laughs) Aoyuki, like... Yeah, like, it's it's insane, like, the amount, the kind of uh, seiyuu that they got here and, like, uh, especially around the time frame, too, like, before they got, uh, especially before they got really, really big. 
you know, with the with the with the opening, it's one of those things where it's like, I look at it, I hear the music, and it's like, this is the most early 2010s anime opening I've ever seen. Yeah, it honestly, it felt like it didn't give us much to go off of. Like, sure, we saw the leads, you know, nude a lot. That's fun. <laughs> Not. It showed uh, the main characters, of course. Um, this also before season two, where the other half of the main cast joins. Uh, we're mostly talking about season one here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just it was serviceable. It was it didn't blow me away like a lot of other OPs, but yeah. It definitely gets over the show too because it does like a lot of the stuff that you would see in the show, especially with like the action bits and also like certain shots and like how things are framed in uh, in the opening. Like I said, it's service. Well, it shows you the action. It gets you pumped up for what the show is, I suppose. Yeah, more, more or less. And uh, for the ending, I feel like it gives me vibes of, like, the Madoka ending, but it's, like, not as, like, poignant as that one is. Yeah, the, the ending was odd because it was just Chris walking to the left while, like, uh, decrepit imagery is on the background, which I'm not exactly sure why. Because, well, we'll get into Chris's backstory later, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it also feels like it doesn't fit her character. <laughs> Not really. Like, it's like, okay, she's in silhouette, and then we just see, like, a bunch of weird, like, destroyed angels or, like, statues of angels and stuff like that, and I guess... Yeah, it's like something you would see out of, like, a Souls game. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. But yeah, let's uh get right into the show proper. As uh, we kick off with destruction, as uh, we do like a whole in media res thing where we see like an entire city destroyed, like completely in ruins. And we see this poor girl walking through the city, you know, not even having an umbrella, even though it's raining. Yeah, I guess Miku didn't uh, account for that. It, it's just I look at the, I look at her and I'm just like, oh, it's a uh, it's not going to get any easier from here or it already didn't get any easier since this is the future. Uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> As we see the the background where the whole town is just destroyed and there's just graves everywhere. Oh, yeah. And then she stops at this one grave and just cries out for this uh, one girl who is dead now. And then we flash back to uh, two years prior to this to a big concert. And here we meet uh, our lead girl, Hibiki, resident dumbass and girl who is cursed, played here by Aoyuki. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she definitely is all more innocent here as she just wants to go to the idol concert, but... Her best friend and possible girlfriend, Miku, just gets stuck doing something at home all day. So Hibiki's just here at the concert by herself with no adults, apparently. We don't have those here. <laughs> no, I guess her, her parents are all like, eh, just 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 go to the concert, Hibiki. Just have some fun, you know, uh, get home safe, take an Uber yeah, you're if like you want. Yeah, like 13, but we'll, we'll let you be in a concert with all these otaku. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all these dirty, smelly otakus. <laughs> <laughs> And no one gets kidnapped in Japan, right? No, uh, absolutely not. Do, do, do kidnappings even exist in Japan? I don't think so. I don't even think they have a word for it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's also, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, she's played by Aoyuki, who uh, you may recognize as she's, uh, she's not uh, a stranger to any Magical Girl stuff as uh, a year prior to this. She was uh, Madoka in Madoka Magica. Which is one of my favorite shows, by the way. Love her voice acting there. Oh, she is wonderful in the role. And yeah, I, I love me some Madoka too. <laughs> For you uh, Precure fans, uh, she would become uh, Nodoka or Kira Grace in uh, Healing Good Pretty Cure in uh, 2020. Which was also very hilarious to see the uh, the twins 
brought out that art piece with uh, Madoka and Nodoka. Yeah. And then they had to take Madoka out because Toei got mad at them. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't want, like, uh, their wholesome magical girl character next to, like, uh, a magical girl from, like, a very dark show. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> just fan art i guess that's an issue i suppose i guess i guess too but yeah that's it's that's such a fun coincidence like less than 10 years after she did madoka she was like the lead in like one of the greatest like uh, magical girl franchises of all time yeah, even a similar name madoka nodoka oh yes oh my god what yes. yeah like there's i feel like there's a little bit of a homage there oh yeah definitely and also i gotta say nodoka she is my favorite pretty cure of all time Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> and around this time, we're introduced to the uh, performers of uh, this big concert. We have uh, Kanade Amo, played here by Minami Takayama, and Tsubasa Kazanari, played here by Nana Mizuki, who uh, did the opening. So, hey, pulling double duty right here. Yeah, as, as I said before, uh, the voice cast in this show is all stars. I'll give it that. That is impressive. Yeah, like uh, Mizuki, like uh, she was already an idol prior to this. And uh, fun fact, uh, creator Noriyasu Agematsu, he actually composed and arranged tracks on uh, two of uh, Mizuki's singles, uh, Massive Wonders and Eternal Blaze. Oh. So they have a bit of a connection right there. So I guess uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that prior work uh, got her into uh, the role of Tsubasa for this series. Oh, probably. And the uh, Otakon panel definitely touched on how the voice actress uh, influenced the character because they were gunning for her at the start. So they... And put some stuff there about how, like, paparazzi would follow her around. And we saw Tsubasa having to avoid paparazzi during the date with uh, Miku and Hibiki. So a little oh, little bit of parallel there. Okay, that's a, that, that's at least a little nice, you know? Of course. And also, uh, right here, seeing uh, Kanade and Tsubasa, you know, kind of uh, hype themselves up right before their big concert. And uh, just the way they interact and stuff and how they get all close to each other. I'm just like, these two... Uh, they seem like such good friends, don't you think? I uh, I wonder if they're, uh, you know, up to interpretation. Oh, maybe they are interpretation. Are they roommates? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was actually very nice seeing uh, Kanada being a sort of like older sister to Subasa, who at this point, her uh, voice register is significantly higher than her in-series voice because she's, you know, more innocent now, but we'll get into that. Yeah, but uh, that's something I noticed that uh, you definitely picked up on our second viewing, that uh, her voice is uh, pitched up higher here, so it's a, it's a nice little detail, you know, to show the passage of time. Oh, yeah, it's been only two years, and a whole register dropped down, like, an octave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, I just love how, uh, you just see how, like, Kanade is right here. It's very much like, uh, I'm uh, two days away from retirement, I'm ready to go on a vacation, and, uh, I'm gonna go travel the world. Everything's gonna be so wonderful after this concert, Tsubasa. Got me a future, partner. I'm two days away from retirement. My daughter's graduating from college. Little Susie's going up. And as soon as we nail Mendoza, my old lady and I are gonna sail around the world like we always wanted. Yeah, it's... You couldn't put more red flags in there if you tried. <laughs> no, not at all. And uh, we get some um, idol time right here. Big idol concert, though. Uh, I looked at this and it just, like... It gave me big bang of, like, the opening to, like, Final Fantasy X-2 with, like, the big concert with Yuna, you know, the one where she's like, What can I do for you? What can I do for you? I can't feel you. Oh, yeah, it's a spectacular sequence with them dancing, tons of lights, and then they open up the dome and it looks like a spider coming outside. And yeah, yeah it's 
I'll say it's a well done sequence. So yeah, props for them for that one. Yeah, like, and also I do give them props for you know not resorting to a uh, CG for the, like the uh, the dance numbers. They, it's it's all hand drawn though, not necessarily good. Like there's it's a little wonky, but I'll give them credit for trying at least. I mean, I give them credit for being one of the first ones to like do a show like this. Although we've also had stuff like Macross, so you know. <laughs> and I will say the song itself isn't bad but uh it definitely sets the stage for like a lot of the music in the series where it's like it's not bad but it's mostly forgettable like it honestly feels like white noise half the time well you're supposed to just enjoy the performance like you're supposed to be in the crowd so when stuff starts going <laughs> down you know <laughs> <laughs> just just get sucked in and then all of a sudden we get big explosions as uh, we're bringing on the noise yeah they brought the noise and the noise <laughs> yes <laughs> Oh, yeah, but yeah, these are our uh, monsters of the series. These, like, weird-looking gelatinous things called uh, Noise. It's, uh, it's like, yeah, how would you describe these things, really? Uh, if you take a Precure monster, make them more themed around um, computers, and it feels like something you would see out of a computer episode of like a 90 show it really does like it almost feels like something like out of Gridman or something yeah it definitely feels more like tokusatsu than magical girl in my opinion because precure like monsters tend to be more solid like themed around one object this is more just it's a whale but it's computerized or it's an octopus but it's computerized <laughs> and also just you bring up tokusatsu, and uh, one of the things, one of the feelings that I couldn't shake while watching this is, uh, I got flashbacks to back uh, earlier this year. Uh, Y'all may remember uh, me, Ryan, and Tony did the episode all about samurai flamenco, and that was one big homage to tokusatsu. And while watching this, I got reminded of that, and I'm just all like, "Oh no, not again!" <laughs> yeah. The different episode, but now you have a different uh, co-pilot, so. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I thank you, Prism, for joining me with uh, this batch of madness, though. I, I at least can say that uh, this madness isn't the same, isn't quite on the level as uh, Flamenco's madness. I don't feel like I'm about to go crazy. I just feel, I just feel more confused half the time. Oh, very much so. Like, I'll just say it now. This show doesn't know what tone it's going for half the time. No, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, no, well, let's uh, explain episode one and we'll get into that, I think. And uh, so uh, Kanade and Tsubasa, they see all these noises uh, attacking everyone. People are evacuating out of this big stadium. And uh, that's when we get uh, our first look at uh, what uh, Sinfo Gears are as uh, they transform into their uh, pretty much their magical girl forms that uh, we will be seeing throughout the series. Yeah, what's the one differentiator here? What do they do to transform? Uh, they have to sing to activate their powers. Yes. Yeah. A, listen to their song. I'm <laughs> 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 oh, sorry, that was just a meme with us while watching, so I have to... Yeah, like, we just kept loving that. Like, also to the point where it's like, we hear that song and we just... We also kept just thinking about the uh, one-winged angel just playing over oh, that, yes. too. We just randomly interjected, Zephyr Roth! <laughs> <laughs> so just imagine the opening. Listen to the song! 
I'm sorry. We had a lot of fun with this show, but probably not the way that everybody else did. No, no, but it's like, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about that to the point where it's all like, oh man, like Kenny Omega earlier this year at Wrestle Kingdom, he came out to One Winged Angel and I'm just all like, yeah, that's cool, Kenny, but uh, you know what would have been better? If it came out to Synchro Gazer, you know, I'm pretty sure you would have uh, struck fear into the heart of Will Ospreay if you came out to listen to my song. <laughs> I'm sure what a confused audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm choking on water there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, this is the main gimmick of the series right here, where uh, the characters, the Sinfo Gears, they sing while they fight. Like, they sing to activate their powers, and then they continue to sing as they're fighting. Yeah, the main transformation um, devices are little stones that they have on their chest, or in someone else's case, inside their body, which it activates uh, via resonance, which is voice. And yeah, we'll get into what those are later. And also, I just, I just gotta say, uh, these outfits, they are terrible. Oh my god, it's, I feel like it's like the precursor to, like, the Mecha Girl outfits that we saw in stuff like 100. <laughs> oh yeah, or like, uh, the, the outfits you'd see in, like, say, Strike Witches or Kantai Collection. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a bit more, <laughs> <laughs> let's just say for a particular audience. <laughs> A very, a very peculiar audience who uh, love figures and uh, love to look at them in places. Uh, yes, like there's a reason why, like their underwear is showing through their shorts. <laughs> oh my god, it's like, it's like the imagine, it's like they're wearing one piece swimsuits and then they just throw on Gundam mech armor around their forearms, their legs, parts of their to torsos. Not, not, not all parts. You know, you kind of got to, kind of got to show some stuff. And also just, like, their butts are just all hanging out, or, like, they just have massive wedgies and stuff. It's just, it's so creepy to look at. Yeah, it definitely has that kill-a-kill -kill quality of eventually you do get used to it, but it definitely feels, it's somehow both over- and underdressed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Especially the uh, main antagonist's armor, which we'll get into. <laughs> Oh my, oh geez, her outfit, oh my god. It's something out of Queen's Blade. <laughs> oh, oh my god, yeah, it is totally out of that. And uh, I guess we should also explain, like, uh, how the uh, the singing gimmick came about as, uh, apparently the whole gimmick of them singing while they fight uh, came about as, like, a, a miscommunication error at, during a production. Someone on the team was like, hey, we like to have uh, character songs during the fight sequences, and someone got that mixed up in, into thinking, like, oh, you want the characters to sing songs during their fight sequences and then it just kind of kept going on and on and then until they realized oh okay we kind of like this and i feel like that's the one of the big things that really hooked people into the series just the fact that they sing while they fight yeah it's very like unique because again in theory this should be amazing like action plus famous voice actresses plus singing while fighting like give it to me please <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, the music just ends up being very, very mid and forgettable. But, 
like the the songs themselves are fine, but they don't directly like relate to the actions going on screen. So it's just singing whatever they wanted to. It just makes as much sense. And also just the fact that they do it so very often that it just kind of, uh, it really loses its luster. Like, you know, since we're both uh, Pretty Cure fans, we both know about this. Like, uh, you know, you've seen like the big moments in like any Pretty Cure season where like they actually play uh, a certain Cure's character song during like a big fight sequence. And like, it's one of the coolest things ever. Oh, exactly. Like, uh, for example, in uh, Go Princess Pretty Cure, near the very end, uh, Haruharu, you know, she loses her smile. She's a, in a big uh, deep pit of depression, but then she, like, rises up, gains herself back again, transforms into Cure Flora, and, like, they play her character song as she's, like, fighting against, like, uh, the Zetsu Borgs. Like, it's one of the coolest things, and, like, they only really do it once that season, and they saved it for, like, a great moment, whereas here they just do it all the time. Yeah, or, like, at the end of Heart Catch, when they're... You know, totally dunking on Dune. They're playing the character song, and it's the most hype thing I've seen in a while. Like, yes. it saves that, but uh, while here, they play the OP at the very end of the episode, of episode one, but it's just a black screen of text scrolls. Like, what? Yeah, and like, and that's not the only time they do that. They do that again later in the series. Yeah, I know we're talking about character songs, but just the placement is bizarre at some points so uh during all this uh hoopla as uh kanade and subasa fight these noises uh despite the fact that everyone in the stadium sees all these noises and immediately evacuates hibiki is the only one who doesn't escape like how does she how did she stick around well, she's like 12 she just stares at the <laughs> oh wow my idols are now in different outfits and fighting these monsters like i could see myself though, when i was that age just staring there transfixed but no adults were like Wow, stupid kid, grab, run. <laughs> no, that's, all the adults are all like, you're on your own, kid, fuck you. Yeah, also, uh, just to add a little detail here, what happens is noise just attack humans indiscriminately, and if they touch them or anything, if they're not in a sinful gear, because there's a, a barrier to stop them from being dissolved, they fall into, like, ashes. So after every battle, we just see clumps of ashes from former humans, which... Almost becomes dark comedy in something on episode two, but we'll get into that. Oh my god, yeah, there's one bit. Yeah, it's, we'll get to that. <laughs> so, uh, in the middle of the hoopla, Kanade gets hit by one of the noises, all of her armor goes flying, and all this, like, armor shrapnel flies behind her and then hits little babby Hibiki square in the chest, and then she just gets blasted and just all of this raspberry jam just like flies out of her chest like crazy and just to clarify uh she only got did that because the noise were going after hibiki and she had the desire to protect this random civilian so she started getting to the path of the noise and twisting her spear to block the attacks which was damaging her i could not get over that the first time we saw that like I just saw just, like, all of this blood just, like, fly out of this small little girl's body. And I'm just like, whoa, what the hell is this? Yeah, it kind of goes into the whole tone issue where am I supposed to be horrified here? Am I supposed to be, like, hopeful here? I, <laughs> It's a very bizarre experience. It's not the only time in the series that they go over the top on the blood, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, this is something, this type of blood you would see, like, in some, like, elfin lead. <laughs> yeah, or, like, uh... 
you know, to, to date, to date the, the recording of this podcast, I just got done watching AEW All in London, and I saw the stadium stampede match, and everyone was just gushing blood all over the place. And even then, that wasn't nearly as, as enough blood as we see in this, at least in this single shot right here. <laughs> yeah, they really want to sell how... <laughs> How hard that piece of shrapnel hit Hibiki. Also, isn't isn't this series hardcore? Don't you don't you want to see how hardcore this show is? <laughs> Are you hardcore enough to watch a show about little girls singing while they fight? <laughs> yes. Only only the truest of true badasses watch little girls get exploded by little tiny rocks in their and chest. It's bizarre because at points this feels like a cute girl show. At other points this tries to be horrifying. And then there's big shonen action. It can't decide what it wants to be. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, so at this point, uh, Kanade, she's kind of uh, on her last legs here, you know, after uh, taking that uh, blow to protect Hibiki. So she activates uh, her uh, climax song, which is basically like a last resort attack. Like every Sinful Gear kind of has like this last resort attack that they use to like just wipe out all enemies. And uh, in doing so, Kanade sacrifices herself to defeat all of the noise in the uh, in the stadium yeah she imagine vegeta's herself yes oh it really is that scene in uh, the boo saga where vegeta just blows himself up to try to kill boo although in this case actually did destroy all the noise much to uh yeah that's Basa's, you know uh <laughs> yeah she wasn't happy about that let's just say no uh i would say she was pretty a little miffed a little miffed as it were uh yeah she was a bit distraught as we would say <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just as she holds uh, Kanade dying in her arms, and then Kanade just kind of, like, fades away into dust. And now the, the white wing band is now just a single wing. A one wing, yeah. if you will. <laughs> They're the one-winged angel! <laughs> Which, by the way, aren't most birds Zwei wings? <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's a cool name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah now it's just subasa take up the mantle as we uh flash forward to a uh, present time though present time before the start of the series so it's like we start at the end of the series move all the way to the beginning two years earlier and then we move two years later but months before the the, the start of the series yeah we're doing inception here so uh keep up <laughs> Hey, there's plenty of, of Inception fans still out there, aren't there? Oh, yeah. We were looking at uh, AO3 fanfictions, and there's apparently tons of Inception fanfictions <laughs> to this day. So, yeah, shout yeah. out to the Inception community. <laughs> yeah, you're keeping it alive, hanging out there with the uh, the Killian Murphy uh, community. <laughs> keeping up with the Titanic fandom. <laughs> so, uh, we see the school where uh, Hibiki goes to, and it's a... Uh, it's pretty much like a a bang dream school where like everyone plays music, I guess. Yeah, it's. I couldn't. Did we ever get the name of the school? I feel we do, but like a lot of things in this show, it just kind of like they kind of explain things a little too fast, and they don't uh, give you enough time to like uh, really digest the information. So like, I'm sure they might have said it, but it it was just probably like in a blur of like text. Yeah, it's definitely not essential to the whole place, like say show. No, not at all. Like, they wish they could be Seisho. <laughs> Although there have been crossovers <laughs> between Simpho Gear and Review's uh, mobile games. So, you know, maybe they did step foot in Seisho. Who knows? 
Maybe. I mean, we both see that both schools have, like, underground uh, bases and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, except one has a giraffe and the other one has Genjiro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About as tall as each other, though. Wakarimas. But we get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's around this time we are formally introduced to uh, Best Girl, a.k.a. Miku Kohinata, played here by Yuka Iguchi. Love her. I love her so, so much. I feel like we really latched onto her like as soon as we saw her like she just kind of won us over yeah because for one her voice kind of has that a uh, bonica quality in precure where it's just very like asmr and two she is so like understanding of habiki that she honestly deserves a bit better oh my god like we love her because we mostly felt bad that she had to put up with like all of the bs mainly from hibiki and it's also like we see her and we feel like she deserves to be a main character in a better anime. Yes, because we see her fully accepting the evasions of Hibiki later on, but she still shows love. She shows understanding. She helps people in danger. But for a human, she's very brave, very kind, very, you know, she's a great character. She provides that emotional support to Hibiki that I feel Hibiki doesn't really return the favor in 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 some ways yeah because hibiki is off being spider-man <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it really is spider-man as soon as we'll see later yeah we'll we'll go into that another reason we kind of latched onto her is that uh, she reminded us of like some other characters in uh, some of our other uh, shows that we like like uh mahiru in uh, review starlight or like uh kanako in uh, watiri oh yeah but at least she's actually has her person it's not just an, an unbreakable barrier that she can't overcome <laughs> Yeah, she's not, uh, she doesn't have, like, that unrequited crush while that girl goes after, like, a completely different girl. Uh, yeah, although we will see that later when she gets the idea that she does. <laughs> oh my, it, it still happens. It still happens, but no, we, it's at the opposite, because we, we start the show, and we actually see them in their room, flat out cuddling in the same bed. Like, that's actually really, well, I don't know if I could show it progressive, because... It's for the Moe factor, I feel, most of the time, but, you know, it's nice to see for a show this old. Oh, yeah, definitely, though. Though, yeah, it's definitely for, like, that Moe factor or for just, uh, just to be very baity for, like, the weebs watching the show. Yeah, like, because Mika's clearly, like, the, the big wife of the show, like, something that you would wish you would have in your life. Yeah, don't you, don't you wish you had a girl like this that's very understanding of all your antics and would just kind of... Let you do whatever without any question. Yeah, don't you wish your girlfriend was fun like her? <laughs> yeah, don't you don't you wish your girlfriend was a doormat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be fair, Mika's not a doormat because we see her later on pushing back against some of the the BS she's being given. That's very true. She does stand up for herself sometimes. Yeah, she's not a a full on doormat like <laughs> like some characters. Yeah. <laughs> I got, we gotta bring up the, the other three friends that we see hang around them, like... Oh yeah, the friend squad! I don't know their names, I don't think they ever say their names on screen, but it's like... <laughs> we know one of them is just the anime girl. <laughs> yeah, there's this one girl with pigtails who, like, every other line, she's all like, Wow, this reminds me of some anime, or, your life's like an anime, you know that? Yeah, she has to relate everything to anime, which, to be fair, for a early 2010s, you know, otaku, I can see that being someone real, just not someone that I would be associating with. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, I love me some anime, but I wouldn't be talking about it in every other sentence. 
Yeah, I wouldn't see relationship drama and be like, wow, this is just like the relationship drama in that one anime, Toradora. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, we're in a car, just like my favorite anime, Initial D. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're keeping secrets. You're like a spy in my favorite anime, Spy X Family. <laughs> Available now on Crunchyroll. <laughs> Buy it now and stream it. Buy the Blu-rays. And while you're there, go to www.bandai.com and buy the $200 Hibiki figurine with a posable cape. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Oh my god. Yeah, so we have like a, we have the anime girl and just we have, honestly, the other two girls don't really do much. They don't really have anything in particular that kind of sets them apart from anime girl. Yeah, there's there's one blonde girl who looks kind of like uh, your usual like Hime character. They're just there to kind of just comment on like what's happening between Hibiki and Miku, and just I guess they're basically just like an audience surrogate <laughs> in all honesty. Yeah, we have the otaku, and then we have the two normal people that they're watching the show with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're the friends that they dragged on to watch Sinful Gear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> who are you? I'm the blonde hair girl. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm short-haired girl. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Yeah, and an anime girl is like all the fans tweeting, watch Sinfo Gear, and they dragged us into the story. <laughs> and then they freak out at the end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and also, before I forget, I gotta say, girl who talks about anime a lot, she's just basically Otakon from Metal Gear Solid. It's like one of my Japanese animes. Oh my god, is she? Because, again, she has to really everything to anime. Even when the situation is, like, dire, she's like, explain it to me like it's anime. Die bad, Des. Sugoi <laughs> 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 <Sugoi> bad. Sugoi <laughs> bad. Everything will be daijobu. You must uta the song. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh there you go that's that's me relating it to anime oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, now i want there to be a dub just so that she can be like th- those exact like late aughts early teens anime fans who throw in random japanese just to sound cool yeah honestly if anybody here is a fan of fake grand order the character osakabe hime basically make it her dialogue ah. yeah because her whole thing is <laughs> interjecting her english with just random japanese it's like a <laughs> this is not daijobu <laughs> <laughs> yeah her her lines are great because the fandom translated her like that for fanon but when she got added the translators just made that her dialogue <laughs> oh my god so fanon became canon <laughs> After school here, uh, Hibiki is out going to uh, buy a CD from Subasa as she's now uh, a solo act. And, uh, you know, hey, don't you, don't you, Otaku at home, want to do the same thing? You know, don't you want all the character songs from your favorite waifus for, for waifu? Yeah, don't you want to go and buy the Sifagir CD available now at your local retailers? Yeah, buy it now. Wait in line and get the special tickets where you can meet your favorite seiyu at their concerts for like 30 seconds while an angry guy yell, uh, looks at you for not... So you don't get too clingy. Yeah. Also, I would like to interject here. It's so bizarre how excited Hibiki is to go and buy this CD from the act whose concert gave her PTSD. And she's just, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, 
I feel like she should be a little bit more trepidatious and being like, oh, this is bad memories. Yeah, like, why why is she just not, like, freaking out about this or something like that? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. It's it's a bizarre experience, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to get even more bizarre as uh, Hibiki, you know, running to the store. She comes across uh, a street full of dead bodies or bunch of dust everywhere that used to be dead bodies looks up and just says noise <laughs> as yeah the noise are the, the, they're bringing the noise right now and they're attacking indiscriminately right here yeah so Hibiki runs to escape the noise and what does she find mikey oh so uh as she sees all these dead bodies she hears a scream off in the distance and then we cut to like a completely different scene and then we cut back and then Hibiki's just running with some random girl that she found. Yeah, a random, like, seven-year-old, eight-year-old girl. <laughs> it's like we heard the scream, cut to another shot, and then we're back and Hibiki just has this random small child. Like, I, I remember getting whiplash at that, just going like, what, what, wh where'd this kid come from? Yeah, what's her name? Where's her mom? You know? <laughs> Why is she alone in the middle of the city? Because later on, we see her mom is fine. So, like, did her mom just run away from her own child? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> or did her did her child go to buy the new Subasa CD and just ran off without her? Yeah, I guess that's the, the theme of the show. Let your young kids go and buy CDs by themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or go to concerts by themselves and get blasted by shrapnel. Exactly. You know, what's a mosh pit? Hibiki won't get in one to one of those. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fine. A little little cr <laughs> little little trampling will do a kid good, you know, builds character. <laughs> yeah, they're both have infused. They're fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then Hibiki just does inexplicable things right here. She she turns into like a horror movie girl where she she's running with this girl, runs into this factory, climbs up a ladder and gets caught in a dead end on top of this building. <laughs> yeah, it's like a gas works that she goes into and just climbs the was a five story ladder. Yeah, with with this girl in tow. And then it's like she's like she's caught off guard that she got trapped. And it's like how did you not realize that you did everything wrong? Yeah, what what happens afterwards? What, what happens to Habiki? Oh, all hope uh, seems lost until suddenly uh, starts to sing a song. She feels something within her body. And then suddenly we get Gungnir, the, the Sinfo gear, and she becomes a Sinfo gear. Yeah, it turns out that stone from Kanade's uh, spear that lodged into her chest resonates with her... I guess she just started singing for some reason, and... I guess she just felt a song in her heart. Yeah, I guess she couldn't let it go. <laughs> no. <laughs> Cold never bothered her anyway. Yeah, the noise never bothered her anyway. Anyways, yeah, so she sings, has a transformation sequence that leaves her eyes all evil, and her face is like shadow with two red dots in her eyes, and... It gets very Akira for some reason with... Uh, oh my god, yeah. What would you even call that? Just like random mechanical bits just coming out of her like a funnel? This is the only time we see something like this because after this, all the transformations are just your typical magical girl stuff. But here she's like... Hibiki's like hunched over, has like all of these like uh, lights around her, and then just like these mechanical Akira tendrils just start flying out of her back. Like, it's it's really weird looking where like... The tendrils fly out of her back, retract, fly out of her back, retract. It's it's really freaky looking. Are you trying to imply that Hibiki is now part machine? 
or I, I don't understand the implications of this. We don't see that with Tsubasa or any of the season two Simpho Gears. No, not at all. And like we even get a flashback to like one of the characters gaining their Simpho powers, and it's nothing really like this. It's it almost looks like Hibiki is being taken over by like the Venom symbiote. Yeah, it does. Like they make a big deal about how it being inside of her is like an evil side, but we only see it be evil like three times, maybe. At least in season yeah. one. Season two, it's a full one tail Naruto deal, but. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, in all of this, like, imagine you're watching this for the very first time, like we were when we first watched this. Like, we see this girl, all this mechanical shit just like flying out of her bag. She's like transforming. And then you just smash cut, and the show and the episode ends like right then and there. Like, that's how the first episode ends. Yeah, and they play the OP over just black text with a white. A text screen, and it's just, you're hyping me up for nothing here. Yeah, and I remember when we first watched that, we were just losing it laughing just because we couldn't believe, like, that's how you end your first episode? That's how you hook people in? Well, yeah, although we were hooked because it's like, what are they going to do? Is she going to be a total maniac? Is this her evil side? Start episode yeah. two, she's fine. Yeah, like, she, she gets her... uh Sinfo power is under control when she's able to, like, defeat the noises, and, uh, the little girl gives us a line where she says, Onei-chan, you look so cool. Does she, though? I mean, if you're 14, it looks cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess, but it's like we said before, like, uh, she's, she has, like, uh, her Sinfo powers. It's, like, one-piece swimsuit, mechanical shit all around her forearms and legs, and, like, and, a little bit of a headgear thing. And two big gauntlets on her wrists that kind of fire stuff. Basically, yeah. if you know Yang from Ruby, this is before Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also just uh, another thing you'll come to notice with like all of these costumes is that uh, all these girls just have massive wedgies all the time. And the camera focuses on it all the time. Oh, yeah. There's one particularly egregious example where it's just a tonal disaster. And yeah, I think it's episode four, but we'll get to that. The, I, I will say here, like, uh, the song that uh, Hibiki is singing, because, you know, she sings while she fights. That's how she powers herself up. I will say, at least Aoyuki has a very nice voice. Oh, yeah. All the voice talent is top-notch. Definitely. And uh, also, uh, I gotta hand it to these, uh, the noises that are attacking here, because uh, they, they wait patiently for Hibiki to get ready before they attack. Oh, yeah, they always wait. They never just, like, surprise people, because... Again, they're like Otoku, like, they're, they're putties. They're any other random, you know, disposable minion. It reminds me of this scene from this crappy movie called Samurai Cop, where, like, there's a scene where, like, all of these, like, minions are attacking the main character, and they're just, like, they're going at it one by one by one. It's like, attack them at once! Why are you waiting? Yeah, it almost makes me question why there isn't a Dynasty Warriors Sympho Gear game, because it feels like it would be the perfect... <laughs> franchise for that i'm really surprised that there's a, there isn't anything like that because you'd think especially with how the fan base eats a lot of the stuff up you'd think that they that would have been an easy thing to do Maybe it's just too niche i don't know i guess <laughs> and of course uh one thing that uh, hibiki does during this fight is that she does the big uh she does what every uh pretty cure protagonist does when they first transform they do the big jump the first time oh yeah they don't know their own strength so they just leap off the the giant gas tower and They'll fall down to the ground with the little girl in tow and smash into yeah. the ground and, by all accounts, pulverize her spine, but... <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's like that little girl should be critically injured. But no, she's in Hibiki's arms. It's fine. It's fine. Around this time, we then get to see uh, Subasa. She shows up, and then we see like her Simfo Gear outfit, her new one, because apparently in the two years since uh, that incident, and now like I definitely noticed this more on the second viewing, where it's like it seems like Subasa's outfit gets more revealing later than it d- than it did at the start. Yeah, maybe it's like Kill a Kill, where the stronger you get, the more revealing your outfit gets. Yes. <laughs> but no, she she comes in on a motorcycle and smashes it against a noise's foot. So there's your thousands of dollars gone. <laughs> yeah. It's just like just comes in, motorcycle hits its heel, and like it does nothing. Like, what was the point of that? I think just Subasa doesn't know how to brake. No. In her mind, she's all like, oh, I, I don't know how to use the brakes. I'll, I'll just jump off and get a new one. Exactly. Because she's not paying for it. It's just expensive to the company. <laughs> no, no, we can just pass the bill on to your commander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sabasa comes in and destroys a bunch of noise. And she's a, uh, what's her opinion of uh, hearing Gungnir again? She feels, I think she's like very like surprised and shocked about this. But she's also feeling like, oh, this this new girl is trying to be the new candidate. I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah, because she's using a piece of Kanade inside her chest to summon these Simple Gear powers. If we're talking about Tsubasa's Simple Gear outfit, we can't ignore the big thing. The one thing that we really <gasps> latched onto. Yes! <laughs> care, to, care to explain, Prism? Okay, sure. So basically, when Tsubasa fights, she likes to breakdance. So out of her legs are two large, like... What do you call them? Like skis, swords, skis, or so- swords, sword skis. <laughs> yeah, basically, two long white poles that come out of her shoes that go outwards when she breakdance, kicks everything. Which, when she's standing up, looks hilarious. Don't <laughs> <Yeah>. get <laughs> me wrong. When she's spinning, it looks great. But imagine going through a doorway. She would have to go through sideways. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> just if you if y'all haven't seen this, just imagine like swords like popping out of her ankles at like a forty five degree angle. Triples the width of her body. <laughs> and, and like she does this one move where like she basically does the spinning bird kick from uh, that Chun Li does in Street Fighter, and then like the swords get longer, and then she uses that to like. It's basically basically like an area of effect attack that just like attacks all the noise around her. Yeah, which to be fair, that looks cool. But then she never retracts them. They just stay up while she's just like fighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she's stuck with these sword legs that are just so cumbersome. Yeah, which in theory would make you like tumble over like you're <laughs> strapping giant wiper blades to your feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, Tsubasa is basically like the samurai of the group. She uses swords and makes bigger swords and likes to break dance. And uh, yeah, an, her, one of her big attacks is she just she just manifests like a giant sword, like the size of a building that she then just kind of drop kicks into uh, her her uh, opponents. Yeah, and like if you've seen that Metal Gear Rising gif of Raiden swinging that gigantic sword at Armstrong, <laughs> that is the level of sword we're dealing with. It's also at this point where, like, Hibiki, when she sees Tsubasa, she remembers that, oh, she was a Sinfo, like, but uh, we do, we then find out that this whole thing is meant to be a secret, so, like, 
like that's a that's one of the weird things where it's like this whole thing of like sinfo gears and like that them fighting the noises is like a big huge like secret so it's like we can't let the public know even though all of the public knows all about noises yeah even back then because when the noise showed up at the concert that baby hibiki was at someone yelled it's the noise so clearly they know it happens and the only thing that can defeat the noise are sinfo gears and they saw Tsubasa and Kanade transform at the concert. So secret's out, unless they have Men in Black. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but even if they do have the Men in Black, like, they're not very good at their job. Because, like, Hibiki was there. She saw firsthand, and she got taken to a hospital afterwards. Like, did they not do anything to erase her memory or something? Uh, no, it's just... There's a lot of unanswered questions in this show. I'd like to put a disclaimer out there. If any of this gets explained in seasons three to five, I don't care right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> each season was made to be its own thing. So you can't retroactively give us a gotcha for only watching two seasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, uh, if, to bring it back to what we we're saying about the uh, secret people, they go out and they go and uh, start cleaning up the streets. So what do they do oh to the uh, the piles of ashes? Oh my God, this part. <laughs> <laughs> we see we see like some military folks or like some uh, some members of like this big uh, organization. They're using like pretty much an industrial vacuum to vacuum up all of like the dust of like all of these dead people. Yeah, it's like. They don't even keep them in, like, separate containers. It's just, like, a shop vac. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> just... It's, it's very dark comedy, because, like, these people were people. <laughs> they, this this used to be someone's father, husband, wife, mother, brother, sister, and, like, you're just putting them in, like, a baggie that you're going to throw away later. Exactly! It's <laughs> You're not going to just, like... Oh, this person was here at this time. These are these person's ashes. No, it's it goes back into the tone issue where all the horrifying moments are just like not given their due seriousness. <laughs> no, it's like completely undercut by like a weird thing that just makes you ask questions about like how how does this logistically work? Just to be even more morbid, it reminds me of something that uh, I remembered when I uh, took my trip to Disney World this past May. So apparently, uh, you know, one of the big rides at Disney World is a Haunted Mansion. And, you know, it's the ride where it's like, you know, spooky ghosts everywhere, you know, 999 Happy Haunts. And uh, apparently a lot of people, a lot of big fans like to uh, have their ashes tossed into the Haunted Mansion so they could live there forever, so to say. Oh, I hear that happens on the Pirates of Caribbean ride, too. And it's just, it yep. horrifies me because that's a health and safety issue. <laughs> yep. but. Uh, Disney knows this, so uh, they actually have, like, a procedure in place in case that happens. And they do exactly this. They just vacuum up the ashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, Jeffrey. Here's your dad's ashes back with 10% more lint. Yeah, <laughs> here's some dust, some uh, dead bugs, maybe some bird droppings here and there. Oh, and uh, oh, here's another person. Their name is Sue. <laughs> Sue. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a particularly darkly, like, hilarious, like, five-second interval that we just lost our minds at. <laughs> yeah, because it's just, 
it just makes you wonder about like oh so many dead people are just mixed in with other dead people yeah it's like it's like people trying to like cremate someone's ashes by putting 10 corpses into the furnace at once like you don't do that <laughs> no it's uh, it's gonna get all mixed up <laughs> uh, anyways <laughs> anyway uh just uh just to add to the more uh, tonal whiplash uh after this uh hibiki is uh handcuffed and then taken to this underground base underneath the school which is basically like nerve headquarters from evangelion yeah they go down about what do you say 110 floors Oh, something like that. It's a, it's a lot. It's insane. Yeah, they, they handcuff Hibiki and Tsubasa and someone FBI-looking guy just shuttle her into an elevator. And there's a big sign that just says, hold on, because... <laughs> <laughs> You're about to go on the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror right here. Yes, and it's way longer than Tower of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't go up and down, and there's no Rod Sterling to narrate your adventure. Hibiki gets uh, brought down to this uh, underground base, and Tsubasa, she's being all serious, like, no, no, smiles are, smiles are unneeded. And then we immediately smash cut to, like, a big welcome party for Hibiki. Oh, yeah, all the, the named characters are just popping, you know, poppers, and it's like they <laughs> knew she would get a sinful gear that day. Unless they had just a closet full of party supplies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just in case they get a new sinfo. Exactly, it's like, they knew that someone got a piece of Kanade's spear inside their chest. <laughs> yeah, it, it took them two years to discover that, but uh, hey, they found it eventually. Yeah, it's like no one took an x-ray of Hibiki during her hospital stay after the Idol concert. <laughs> yeah, which, again, it's like, <laughs> she, she would have been found in the stadium. Like, did, did they not know? No, Ebene Tsubasa took her to a private hospital and they just kicked her out. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> she couldn't pay the bill. Oh, that's Japan. That's the United States issue. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, uh, America. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. When we get down to the elevator here, we meet uh, the big man himself, the big out-of-place shonen protagonist. Yep, uh, Commander Genjiro, played here by Hideo Ishikawa. And imagine Alder from Pokemon Black and White here like he look he looks so much like alder he's alder but way cooler you know he's got the same hair big eyebrows he's built like a beefcake and he's a uh, he also has like a a red uh button-up shirt you know sleeves rolled up got some khaki pants and uh he wears like a what was it like a pink tie that he always keeps in his uh pocket protector yeah it's like i never know why just he doesn't want to tuck it in is there a embarrassing <laughs> design on it like what's your reason genjiro <laughs> I mean, since it's pink, you know, maybe he like uh, threw it. Maybe it was a white tie that he threw in the wash with his red shirt and then it caused it to turn pink. Yeah, he's embarrassed, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But like not embarrassed enough to not take it off. He loosens it, but then he just puts it in his pocket protector. It's, it's laundry day every day, apparently. Yeah. All day, every day. <laughs> Another uh, recurring character, uh, Ryoko-san, who's, uh, who's her VA? Uh, played here by Miyuki Sawashiro. Which is another famous voice actress. That's my coming to play later. Oh yeah, definitely. I wonder uh wonder if her singing abilities are relevant here. Hmm. <laughs> the first time we meet her here, it's like she just acts like such a creep around Hibiki. It's very creepy. Like uh it's what's the what's the phrase she told her? I'm gonna need you to do two things, Hibiki. One, 
Don't tell anybody about this. And two, remove your clothes. Uh, Because she wants to give an examination, obviously. Deep, thorough examination. Oh, God, it's... It's so creepy. It's not any better just because she's a woman, guys. It's definitely straight up double standard here. Like, oh, uh, huh, huh, I wish I had a woman check me out too. Oh, uh, yes. Uh. And trust me, that's not the first time she'll get weirdly sexual with these, you know, minors. <laughs> oh, my. She does this a lot. Like, wh- some someone had a kink on this show, I swear. This whole show's a kink, Mikey. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I, I've said in the past on the show, we don't kink shame, but uh, if it's sinful gear, then I'm going to kink shame. <laughs> I mean, kinks, as long as it's consensual and, you yep. know, adults, which Habiki yes. is neither. <laughs> no, not at all. So, yeah, this will be your new, your new team, Habooks. Well, welcome aboard. Welcome to uh, the disaster team, as they're called. <laughs> So yeah, as uh, Hibiki is getting her uh, examination right here, so uh, we find out that uh, nothing's wrong with her per se, but uh, she does have a big dumb uh, forte scar on her chest. The shrapnel from uh, Kanade's Sinful Gear outfit is embedded in her chest, so she's like a big boss in Middle Gear Solid Five. Turns out that a piece of shard in her chest has like molded with her skeleton and nervous system. It doesn't give her any powers at base, but it's... It's somehow giving her evil powers somehow. Yeah, like, that's pretty much how she gets her sinful gear powers. Like, you know, we, we make the comparisons to Spider-Man. Like, this is the equivalent of being bitten by a radioactive spider. Oh, very much so. It changed her whole nervous system. I guess that's where all the, the metal bits went. And, uh, of course, we this is where we get the explanation to, like, how to activate the sinful powers. And pretty much it's like, oh, all you need is just a smile on your face and a song in your heart. I work hard for the money, so hard for the money. Always something, something funny. Come on, give me lots of honey. Yeah, we were joking around saying, would any song resonate with this? Could they sing, my heart will go on, it'll go? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, does it have to be a specific song? Or can you just go, wherever you are. I know, they always have their own chants. They always say the names of their particular ancient relic. Abel, Ziggurat, Gungnir. Gungnir, Tron. I'll say I like the, the the chant. It feels very, like, majestic. It gets you hyped up. It's like seeing Goku uh, powering up for Super Saiyan. Or like the uh, the song Day of Fate when uh, Gohan goes uh, Super Saiyan 2 against Cell, you know, the... Oh, Messiah, oh, Messiah. Yes, and then it gets to the Macro Girl transformation, which only lasts, like, five seconds. Oh, yeah, and they, they all look like ass, too, where it's just, like, the girls in silhouettes, their armor comes on their bodies, and we also see, like, little uh, noise bars off to the side to, like, signify the music. Yeah, it's they definitely improved that in later seasons, because season two, they were, like, proper transformations. And I've seen clips of season three and onward where they're just... Full-on sequences that's just, like, 3D, and it's crazy. Eh, well, they're getting a lot of money from this series through, like, uh, music sales, so might as well put it to some good use. Yeah, I mean, raise the bar. <laughs> yeah, no, not 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 for the story, though, no. Like, uh, we, we lower that bar every season. We only raise the bar for the animation. <laughs> so, yeah, they are a secret organization that helps keep the noise in check, keeps the sinful gear items in check, which... At the concert with Hanade and 
Tsubasa, they were trying to use the concert songs to resonate with a another relic, Durandel. That's pretty much like uh, why they were like an idol group to begin with. It's just like because their songs like resonate with this uh, relic and like it helps uh, power it up, I think. Which, why do you need an audience to do that? Couldn't they just get them into a karaoke booth and just say sing? Yeah, right? It's like, <laughs> you, you don't need to put all this money into being like an idol group or anything like that. It's like, I'm pretty sure the government funds you, so you don't need anything extra. Yeah, it's another thing that goes unexplained with this show. Or they do explain it, but it's like, it just moves by too fast. Because like, th this show knows you shouldn't care about the story. Yeah, because you're not meant to question it. No, it's just like, just accept the story, hear some words, and go watch these girls fight in stripper outfits. Yeah. Well, then it tries to be serious, so it, it kind of doesn't know what it wants to be. Do you want to be cute girls doing cute things? Do you want to be a serious drama? Or do you want to be stupid action? Pick one, please. <laughs> and Simple Gear's all like, I'll take them all, because I'm hardcore. Oh, uh, yes, hardcore. <laughs> we need an excuse to play the, the metal songs. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hibiki Tachibana, are you a bad enough dude to fight the power of the noise? Well, I guess she has nothing better to do, so why not? Yeah, that's the way she said. She's like, well, I have some time, so I guess I'll help people out. Yeah. <laughs> we get, like, another big, like, action scene set up here, and we'll stress this a lot, but uh, the animation in the show looks such, like such ass. Like, at, at this point, there's, like, an explosion, and it just looks like it looks like they just drew a mushroom cloud and they're just like just slowly sliding up the frame and like the animation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell this show had budget issues. Oh my God, did it ever. Or time issues. <laughs> I don't know which one it was, but either way. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. A little bit of symphony, a little bit of gear. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're fine. Fighting all these noises, Hibiki and Tsubasa are doing their thing, and then uh, it looks like we're going to get a setup for a fight between Hibiki and Tsubasa, because Tsubasa, she doesn't like uh, Hibiki taking Kanade's place, so she wants to, like, have her prove herself worthy of uh, wielding a Gungnir. Yeah, well, Hibiki herself is your typical empty-headed shonen protagonist, so she wants to connect with Tsubasa, her senpai, but she also says, uh, Fine, I'll be your new Kanade, which, you know, doesn't go down very well. <laughs> no, like, when she says that, Tsubasa, you know, demands satisfaction and slaps her for having the audacity to say that. Yeah, because that's her dead friend. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you you, sh you don't say you're going to replace someone's dead girlfriend like that. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're very much a thing. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. So, Tsubasa holds her sword to Hibiki, basically challenges her. What do we do next episode, Mikey? <laughs> so uh, Prism is Prism. We uh, open up not on the fight. We immediately open up the next episode of them doing missions separately in like a montage without any resolution to the last episode setup. It's like we got to wait a bit to see that. Oh, yeah. So we see they survive that encounter somehow. So, yeah, montage. <laughs> completely 
undercuts the moment from the previous episode because like we know everything we know they don't fight and everything just ends up fine after that so when they cut back to it it's like there's no tension here like why are you showing this to us now like why did you edit it edit it like this it feels like a mistake honestly it really does it feels like this show had six different directors and some of them were on good terms with other ones and other ones they just didn't care about this feels like one of those moments (laughs) It really does feel like a whole too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. So yeah, we we had the montage with all those people training. Uh, the two can't work together because Subasa is so used to being the solo Sympho gear, being the blade, as it were. Which yeah, only things she knows for real will be blood. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Subasa's all like, while you were studying the blade, I was becoming the blade. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Subasa has issues letting people into her heart because last time she did that, Kanata sacrificed herself, so she has to be the responsible one. She has to protect this city, and who's this upstart who's trying to replace her girlfriend? And then also we just see, like, more and more of Hideki just becoming the Peter Parker, where, like, she's just so sidetracked to all the Sinfo gear stuff. Like, she's kind of neglecting Miku and, like, her other friends because of this, and, like, also, like, her studies and stuff, too. Yeah, because they couldn't... They said Hibiki couldn't tell Miku what she was doing. So to Miku, it just seems like Hibiki is just flaking on every plan at this point. Which which gets, which gets really, really frustrating as we go along. Yeah, which, again, this isn't a secret. People know about the noise. People have seen <laughs> Tsubasa and Kanade transform. This isn't a secret, guys. And, like, even if it is a secret, like, how do you ex- how do you explain that away? Like, oh, we have these monsters that regularly attack our cities all around the world? Like, how do you explain that they're just taking care of it. It's like, oh, uh, they just went away. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we find out see clips of military guys just shooting at the noise. <laughs> and all their shots pass right through their bodies. Which, by the way, I don't know why the motorcycle crashed into them. Because it's inconsistent, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, bullets don't work, but, like, a motorcycle can, like, hit one of them in the ankle? Look, Mikey, it was touched by a main character. <laughs> <laughs> they got they had the touch <laughs> the magic fingers <laughs> they got the power <laughs> <laughs> when all hell is breaking loose they'll be right in the eye of the storm yeah <laughs> <laughs> the amino habakiri and gungnir uh, so after that we then cut back to the fight that should have started the episode as a uh, subasa is like coming in with like a big dumb sword kick to like attack hibiki but then uh commander commander genjiro shows up and then Holds off Tsubasa without any Sinfo powers whatsoever. Yeah, he punches the air and flat out stops the building-sized sword and Tsubasa behind it. And just kind of collapses the highway that they're standing on. Yeah, with just pure, raw strength. And they tell us that. Yeah, like, this guy is an out-of-place shounen protagonist. And, uh, hey, Mikey, how is he so strong? Uh, he gets strong through uh, watching action movies and uh, practicing what he sees in those. Yes, they, he watches Bruce Lee films and trains with those. He is the Saitama of this universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he can literally one-punch all of these noises if he wanted to. Yeah, two Bruce Lee movies a day, uh, ten push-ups, one Chuck Norris movie per night. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's his dessert after dinner. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Throws in a little Steven Seagal if he's, like, uh, wanting to have a junk food night. Oh, of course. And then he watches <laughs> some Jackie Chan. He watches 
<laughs> when he's not watching movies, he watches uh, Jackie Chan Adventures, the cartoon. Yeah, which, speaking of Jackie Chan Adventures, as just a little aside here, there was a booth at Otakon of someone selling just Jackie Chan Adventures-related merch, which I applaud that. That takes some guts. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It was full Jackie Chan Adventures, like, display, items. I was really tempted just to just walk over and buy something just for the sheer appreciation of just coming to an anime con and selling Jackie Chan Adventures only things. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, that's like going to Otakon and selling just like, I don't know, uh, Kids Next Door merch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go go to like an anime con and sell like fan art of uh, the elite from AEW. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I applaud the effort. <laughs> yeah, true. It's like, I mean... There is some crossover between Jackie Chan Adventure fans and anime fans, so like, hey, why not yeah. tap into that market? They seem to be doing pretty well. I mean, it got Ruby to take a look. Yeah, sure. It's like, I applaud them. Anyways, back on track here. So yeah, uh, Commander stops Subasa from uh, going too far and uh, hurting Hibiki too much. This should have been the point where they go into like uh, them working on missions together to get over that they're not on good terms, so it, it's all so confusing. We get another thing that we see uh, a lot throughout the series is that for whatever reason, they love cutting back to uh, flashbacks of Kanade dying. They always go cut back to that just to like stress it or just like to make a point or just to remind uh, the Sinfo girls like what they're fighting for. Yeah, because unfortunately, Tsubasa's trauma with Kanade is 80% of her character. If they want her to have any emotional investment, they have to tie it to Kanade. We just get so many flashbacks of, like, her just, like, holding Kanade in her arms and just be in her being all like, oh, I'm dying. I feel hungry. I guess that means I'm dying. Yeah, it, I, I don't know if that's, like, a Japanese phrase. I'm just not understanding, but it felt very bizarre how your last words are, I'm hungry, Subasa. <laughs> Subasa should have been all like, no, Kanade, I'll, I'll get you some food. We'll get a $5 hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars. This <laughs> is an RPG, just... Gives her a, a steak and she just gets back up. <laughs> yeah, or, or it's like Zelda where like, uh, ooh, I can make uh, some cheesecake out of like these items. Here, don't you want some? It'll fill at least uh, 10 hearts because I put a hearty truffle in it. Oh, she's dead. Phoenix down, go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, she's like Aerith dead and just like, no, no saving her there. Oh, spoilers, Mikey. <laughs> oh, sorry. I think the game's like over 20 years old. Yeah, so it has a remake too. <laughs> That's true. Maybe the remake will do it differently, intent. Wow. Mm. Anyways, yes, so that's Tsubasa's main hang-up, trying to accept help, as it were, and trying to move on from her prior Zuai Wing team with, with Kanade and be a team with Habiki. It's also around this time we get more information on the, the noises, as apparently these monsters have just been around since ancient times, and, like, the Sinfo gear powers, the relics are have always been there to, like, stop them. I just hear that, and I'm just thinking, like, so wait, does that mean, like, say, I don't know, Joan of Arc was, like, a Sympho gear and, like, fought them in ancient times? Yeah, I'm trying to imagine what would it be like if, say, an ancient pharaoh just got a Sympho gear and got <laughs> gung gear, and it's just like, what is this artillery? What is this uh, latex? What is this outfit? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is... Probably like Yu-Gi-Oh level <laughs> incompatibility. 
in in like the last arc of Yu-Gi-Oh when they go to Egypt like the pharaoh just finds like a sinful gear and just like uses that to like defeat thief king Bakura and Zork. <laughs> the pharaoh uses Gungnir. <laughs> yeah, like you know like he doesn't use like the dark magician or dark magician girl or anything like that. He just sings the song and then gets like a a sexy stripper outfit to fight the forces of evil. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all leather cuz that's what he loves, leather. All oh, all leather all the time, especially around his neck too. Oh yes, yeah, like no one's, uh, <laughs> any illusions of what Yugi's into. Yugi, you look like a bondage slave. Perfect. Girls love bondage slaves, don't they? <laughs> and, and, and Kaiba's ancestor is all like, I'm really into this for some reason, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can see where this show takes our minds, fellow listeners. <laughs> right. And, and this is only just the tip of the iceberg to, to the weird shit we think about when we watch this. Yeah, the tip of the building-sized Tsubasa sword. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Here, it's around this time, we're introduced to uh, another uh, helpful character, uh, Tsubasa's manager. Uh, this is Shinji Ogawa, played here by Soichiro Hoshi. Yeah, this guy doesn't really have much going for him besides just being incredibly sus. He just feels weird, like there's something more to him, and uh, spoilers for uh, later seasons, we find out that he's pretty much like a ninja. Yeah, he's Subasa's manager, but also a ninja. He's also like hangs out with Hibiki a lot and plays like the kind mentor role, which in a show like this, you would think that would translate to a third act like betrayal. Yeah, like, he, he feels like he could have been a villain, though we do see who the actual villain is, but still, it's like... I, I want to know about this guy. Like, like in the second season, we see him, like, running on water Naruto style. Like, what is his deal? Yeah, or, like, leaping super high. He's 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 not Genjiro level strong, but if Genjiro is Saitama, this guy is Speed of Sonic. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> Just way less edgy. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe that's how uh, he and Genjiro met. They had a fight, like, between uh, Saitama and Speed of Sonic where, like, he got uh, punched in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, oop, sorry, don't know my own strength there. <laughs> Speed of Simfo. <laughs> Jeez. Someone oh make God. a Speed of Sonic this guy outfit, please. <laughs> oh, please, or, or put Speed of Sonic in like a Sinfo outfit. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You, okay so not, anyways yeah like yeah uh, let's move on from uh our fantasies of like other anime characters and sinfoki outfits oh god we have like the scene here where like uh he and hibiki are like having a heart to heart and and like uh, hibiki's all like oh why don't people just uh stop fighting or whatever and he's all like oh humanity is cursed and stuff so it's like it's another example of this show trying to be like deep or something like that but it just it just doesn't work here. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, because if, if humanity's cursed, but that doesn't equate to this because later on, we hear the noise has nothing to do with a curse. It's just someone left the door open. Yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, another thing with the tonal shifts, like, we get this scene and then we just immediately smash the, like, slice-of-life antics with Hibiki and Miku, you know, them just promising to be together and to uh, go on a date to see the shooting stars. Oh, yeah, they go to see the stars that doesn't amount to anything it's it's just it becomes like their thing you know they want to see airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars you know they're they're basically mordecai and twilight sparkle yeah it's again it's like peter parker in the raimi trilogy where 
he says like, oh, I'll go see your play. And then he never does. <laughs> no, he gets stopped at the uh, the front door by Bruce Campbell and then has to wait outside. <laughs> yeah, because apparently you can't just, you know, army crawl your way across the theater. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it'll ruin the atmosphere. Yes. But even Habiki doesn't do it because her sinful gear antics go all the way out there, which, okay, if I was Miku and my girlfriend kept like canceling our friends to go do something she wouldn't tell me, I would think she was cheating. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, what would you be thinking she was doing? It's just like, it's it's either cheating or just like not wanting to hang out with me anymore, to which I go like, okay, you probably don't like me, so I guess we'll end it off here. Yeah, or she's like hiding something, or someone's being blackmailed or something, which yeah. I would be concerned about. You're trying not to make her worry, but in doing so, you're just making her worry even more. Yeah, because the uncertainty makes, lets her fill in the blanks. So yeah, it's like, we get a scene where it's like, oh, we're going to see the shooting stars, and then... Hibiki is like, oh, sorry, Miku, there was a disturbance. And then she goes off to fight noises in the subway. Yeah, which, by the way, this particular sequence with her in the subway getting all mad that you all made me miss my date with Miku just has no impact at all because they slowed down the frames to, like, try and give impact. But it's not, like, animated properly, so it just looks like she's super slowly hitting them. Yeah, it's so weird looking. Like, like most of the fights in the show look like ass, but this one really does look like ass. Yeah, there's no weight to her punches. Like, this is supposed to be the big climactic, like, you know, I'm mad. You know, you're ruining my life moment. And also, this is the part where we really started to notice the background music because, okay, so the Simpho Gears, they sing while they fight, but that doesn't happen all the time. Like sometimes they just stop singing and we just hear like regular background OSTs. So it's like, it's a, it's a bit confusing as to like why they do that. But here the background music turns into like that fairy tale style bagpipe music, you know, that. Yeah. It's, it's weirdly totally inconsistent with what the showing should be, which is like emotional wreck. <laughs> it's like, we're, we should be having like sad music right here. Not just like, generic background shonen music or like angry guitars or something especially with like the next bit where like uh hibiki like just she loses control and goes all full she just she just turns into venom right here well just like her face because the rest of her body is just normal i know it's meant to be like oh there are harsh shadows on her face but it's like it just looks like she just has like soot on her face and she just has like red eyes it looks like an incomplete model like it looks like they just yeah. drew her outline and then just paint bucket black and then two red dots yeah <laughs> yeah it's exactly that because like she's in a brightly lit subway like with lights everywhere and it just like her the top half of her torso and like her whole head is just all black with red eyes poking out it looks like shit it doesn't even look like skin it looks it looks incomplete <laughs> <laughs> which to be fair they do make it look better in season two so yes that is very true, especially because, you know, like, they're going full, like, Nine-Tailed Fox right there with it. Yes, they actually, yes, season two has better animation, but that's the only thing it has. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is supposed to be season two, but I'll throw in some opinions while I, I see an opportunity. All this fighting leads to, like, a, a park nearby, and uh, here we meet a new uh, marketable girl. Ooh. Ooh, who could she be? Yeah, who's this girl? Uh, but before that, uh, we get a flashback, uh, but uh, another flashback, a different one from before, but it's still one with uh, Kanade, as we see how uh, Kanade and Tsubasa get their uh, Sinfo gear powers back in the day. 
where it was like a family is like a five years ago. Kind of day was brought to like uh, the disaster team after his fan after her family was killed by noise. And uh, through the power of Nano Machine, son, she was able to gain the ability to control the the Gungnir relic and become a Sinfo, so she can dedicate her life to fighting crime and the forces of evil. Yeah, because apparently each relic has different like requirements to wield it. So Gungnir requires just like resonance. So Kanade uses Nano Machines. Kabiki uses <laughs> it jabbed into her heart and fused with her body, while Subasa just kind of just. Hangs it on her chest. Yeah, and I think it was like uh, Subasa got hers because uh, Kanade got hers, so they were able to like uh, resonate together. I get. I think that was how it's uh, supposed to work. Someone said that she got it by chance, so I'm, I'm I'm not sure. They show her singing when a villain pops out, so I I don't know. And of course, like uh, since uh, Kanade and Subasa are together, they're simfos. They become girlfriends and they form their idol group, Zwei Wing. And they show some nice sequences of them jogging together, Kanade being the big sister role, saying, you know, I love to there be no war in this world. <laughs> fighting is wrong. We should all stop fighting. Yeah, because her parents were killed in that disaster. So, yeah. And uh, there's also, like, <laughs> there was something that you pointed out while we were watching their little running sequence where it's like, uh, they have like these training outfits and Kanade's looks like she's wearing a meat suit. Yeah, it's weirdly like... <laughs> meat red color with white lines on it and it looks like lady gaga's like suit she wore <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> just skin tight for some reason it's it's a weird decision honestly yeah it's like it's like a one piece with like a, a little tank top over it. it it just looks so awkward Which it's weird that you would jog in a one piece just because like the sweat would just cling to you yeah right it's like <laughs> that, that feels more like something you do with like yoga with or aerobics yeah, like, you know, jogging pants are breathable for a reason. <laughs> right? <laughs> Invest in some shorts, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in the show could take that advice. Oh, gosh. It's... <laughs> yeah, that's one of our main points here. <laughs> oh, oh, and also, I, I gotta bring it back to, like, the uh, the copious amounts of blood as uh, when uh, Kanade awakens, like, uh, Gungnir, she just starts vomiting blood all over the place, and it just looks so over the top. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, it goes full, okay, it's weirdly, like, it's still very brightly lit, and not shot as in as horrifying, it's just kind of confusing. <laughs> yes! Again, it's the tonal issues, it doesn't know if it wants to be funky, you know, slice of life, you know, Spider-Man, cute girls doing cute thing stuff, or if it wants to be horrifying, elfin lead, you know, whatever, or if it wants to be stupid show in action. Like, it can't pick a tone. It's It becomes so obvious that the fairy tale people worked on this because, like, I remember those first 175 episodes of fairy tale, just, like, everything, the colors and everything just looks so bright and flat. Yeah, nothing can be, like, horrifyingly shot at all. No. <laughs> Though, unlike fairy tale, this, this show actually has blood. Oh, yeah. But you, you got further into fairy tale than I did. I stopped at, like, episode six. Uh, I, I went into like that new to like that uh, second half, but I stopped because uh, I was watching the English dub and uh, Natsu's played by a sex pervert, so I don't want to hear him anymore. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> oh, app for a shonen protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just like Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> like we're making money off this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Expect royalties from this, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> Your check's in the mail, Prism. 
anyways, so... So uh, we get back to present time here, and uh, hello, Underboob. I mean, hello, Chris Yukine, played here by Ayahi Takagaki. Yes, so we see her with... How would you describe this suit? She's got, like, armor all around her body for the most part, and has, like, a bit of a, like, a visor helmet thing. But then, like, her Underboob is just poking out, like, completely, like... I, like, at that point, why are you even wearing a top? Because it's like, I don't think that's going to keep them in place. No, okay. Best I can describe it like this. Um, imagine the final boss of Sun and Moon with the octopus thing, but cut out the boob section and make the bottom <laughs> skin tight white with two weird, like, chains on it. It looks like that. Oh my god. That's as best I can describe it. It looks like an upside down yeah, like, it does. octopus with two. Two pink, like, whips. And also those, like, uh, whips, they, they look like a Renji sword from Bleach. Just really not as good, because his at least looks like a sword. These are just, like, chains. <laughs> she gets into, like, a big fight with uh, Subasa and uh, Hibiki. She wants to help, but uh, she gets uh, sidetracked by fighting these, uh, these noises that look like uh, the drinky birds that people have on their desks. <laughs> They have like little chicken legs and they have little beaks too. Yeah, that it literally looks like a pre-cure monster, honestly, which is they it's, took the drinking bird and made it big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it does. Oh my god. But uh what do the what do the birds do, Mikey? Oh, uh, then they get less fun and they do something really, really creepy where uh. they they hold Hibiki in place by spewing what what I can only describe as splooge all over her to like keep her in place and you just see Hibiki covered in like this sticky gross stuff that's all over her body and her face dripping off it's it's Ugh. so so disgusting and creepy it's very much like a fetish thing this isn't meant to be like oh she's in place no this is meant to be hey make some dojins of this <laughs> yeah or like uh, slap this on clipsforsale.com oh god Jesus. <laughs> anyways what it's... happens with uh, Tsubasa and Chris <laughs> So, uh, they have a fight. It looks like ass. And, uh, speaking of ass... Oh, here we go! There's a moment where Tsubasa gets knocked to the ground, and she's, like, you know, she's having this, like, moment. She's all like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm at the end of my ropes. I have to defeat you. I have to stop you, Chris. And the camera, for whatever reason... I mean, I know the reason, but still. Rhetorical question. Mm -hmm. But the camera zooms in straight on, like, her... Her legs are, like, spread apart, and we just see her... We see her fanny and her fanny, like the English fanny. Yeah, it's like she's having this big dramatic speech of like, you know, she's a blade that's been discarded and, you know, she won't give up. And it's just focusing on her butt with her bits on full display here. It's, again, they can't decide on a tone. Am I supposed to be sad for Subasa? Am I supposed to be laughing here? Am I supposed to be into this? Like, what's your tone, Symphogear? It feels like something out of, like, say, Senran Kagura, because Senran Kagura does this stuff all the time. Like, even when they're having serious moments, they just focus on the girl's boobs and crotch areas. At least that's a full-on etchy. This is trying to be yeah, three like, different things. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah, and, like, at least for that, they, they know what they're doing, and they're just like, you're not taking this seriously. We're, we're obviously having fun with this. They know their tone here. It's like, they have no idea what their tone is. Exactly. So we're having this big, dramatic, like, sacrifice moment, and it's just... Hey, check out Tsubasa's butt, people. <laughs> yeah, in in her skin-tight one-piece that uh, 
accentuates every single curve and <laughs> don't you want to buy the three hundred dollars Subasa figurine that's one fourth scale <laughs> available now at bandai.com <laughs> don't you want to grab it hold it and uh look at it in places where you're not supposed to look yeah body pillows of Subasa available now at your <laughs> local comic book shop <laughs> buy it there's two sides there's one in her symfo outfit and one of her in her bikini with her shoes off too probably <laughs> Imagine this, but way worse. And this was the experience of being with us while we were watching. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Sinfo Gear fans, if, if they already don't hate us, they're hating us now, and they probably would have hated watching this with us too. Oh, they would have thought we were jackasses. <laughs> yeah, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Which, I'm so sorry, but we enjoyed this just not in the way that you guys did. I'm sorry. I wanted to like this. Same. I really gave this a shot, but I mean, we had fun, but for all, all of the wrong reasons. Yeah, we had fun at the jank and the the total batshit storytelling. Like, this felt like a Hideo Kojima, like, anime that just wasn't made by Hideo Kojima and not as good. Yeah, it feels like... It feels like stuff you would do, but, like, everything is just all underexplained. <laughs> yes. Ugh. Anyways, so what, is, uh, what does Tsubasa do after her ass shot? <laughs> so after showing us her sweet can, uh, Tsubasa decides to go for her climax song as a last resort to, to stop Chris. You know, the same move that uh, Kanade used to uh, defeat all those noises that day. Oh, yeah, the, the move that reduced her to uh, dust that just blew in the wind. Yep, to, uh, to a chocolate milk mix. This is where it gets weird, where she, like, she does her climax song, and both she and Chris survive somehow? Like, yeah. Chris gets sent packing, but then Tsubasa... <laughs> we... <laughs> we get this weird shot where, like, uh, you know, all the noises go away, Hibiki goes to uh, check on Tsubasa, and, you know, Commander and everyone show up, and then Tsubasa turns to them, and we just see her just spewing blood out of every orifice in her body like out of her mouth her nose her eyeballs just yeah her neck's like at a weird angle she's staring at them like i'm sorry and it's just like <laughs> i don't understand what you're going for here am i supposed to be feeling sad right now <laughs> she she does the uh the shaft monica head tilt gimmick yeah and it's like she approaches chris just kind of no selling all her attacks and then just blasts her away this big display of light and then she just falls to the ground like why so it's not a climax song so why did kanade die but not tsubasa i think they try to explain it where like maybe you can survive a climax song if you're connecting with another sinful gear or something like that so like well i know just Nabiki can do that but uh. i guess tsubasa did like grab onto chris before she activated that so maybe it's like being in the presence of two Sinfos caused it to, like... What about Kanade? They were both transformed there. <laughs> I guess Kanade was... She wasn't close enough to Tsubasa? She was not a bad enough bro. <laughs> no. <laughs> she can't save the president. Yeah, it's it's all inconsistent. We're not supposed to be asking these questions, but we are, so who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I, I see this, and I'm just like, what are the rules? I, I need to know what the rules are. Yes, or if the rules don't matter, stop trying to give us hints that they do matter. What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? When you've 
your brain, but the world's insane. How the hell you gonna find out the rules? Which, by the way, that's that's just this whole show. This whole show is like, whose line is it anyway? It's like, the rules are made up and the points don't matter. Exactly. If the powers are meant to be hand-waved, don't go on to lengthy explanations of what they do and then contradict them. It's just a waste of time. Like, if you just want to say they happen, deal with it, I'll deal with it. I'm not caring about why the Power Rangers have morphers and how they work. They, they say Macedon and he becomes a Power Ranger. That's all I need to know. Yeah, or like in Pretty Cure when like, oh, after each fight, uh, the city just magically repairs itself. It just does that and I just accept it. Yeah, or again, Gridman. We don't need to know why it repairs itself. Yeah, true. It's like, it's nice that they gave us an explanation and it kind of makes, it's it's a fun one, but it's like, yeah, we don't really need it. It's, it, it's, it's all Tokusatsu. Yeah, while this thing, it tries to say, oh, the phonotic resonance and the ancient relics and Babel and... <laughs> <laughs> it's just all a bunch of mumbo jumble gobbledygook. So, yeah, what happens after the climax song? So, uh, Subasa, she's taken to a local medical facility to, uh, get healed up, and, uh, Hibiki, she's, uh, sad about, you know, how she, like, oh, I, I didn't, I couldn't help her, I need, I need to get stronger. She decides to go to, uh, Commander for some, uh, special training, and, uh, we actually do get something that's actually pretty cute, in all honesty. Yeah, I did love this part. So, it's like, uh, she goes to him for training, and then, uh, she just goes to, like, his training regimen, which is, like, watching a bunch of movies, you know, Bruce Lee movies and stuff like that, even wearing, like, the yellow jumpsuit with the black piping, and then just going through, like, all kinds of different training stuff, you know, doing push-ups, sit-ups. It's, like, it's pretty much like a full Karate Kid montage. Oh, yeah, they're running up steps. You know, he's on a bike while she's running. You know, full jogging gear. It's a very cute moment. She's yelling out, punching a punching bag. <laughs> They definitely do go full Rocky. Even at one point, uh, Commander says, you're going to eat thunder, eat lightning and crap thunder. And then Hibiki just goes, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've never seen Rocky. I'm like CM Punk. Yes, I'm like 14 years old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I don't have time to watch Rocky 3. Who does? <laughs> there's a we there's a shot in there that just that just makes you wonder. It's like during the montage. Miku sees this. We see her hiding behind a tree watching Hibiki do all, all this training. Yes, she's aware where Hibiki is. She tailed her. So she sees where this guy lives. She sees her training, but doesn't go like, Hibiki, why are you training so much? No, she's just like, she just decides, she doesn't confront her about this, which is like, okay, that, that part's on you, Miku. But still, it's like, Hibiki just... You both need to, like, come together and just, like, sit down and be honest with each other, please. Also, I'd like to point out, it took a month before they gave this random teenager any training with her powers. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit where Hibiki says, like, oh, it's been a month since I became a Symphogear, and now, and now she's actually practicing and putting the work in? Also, not in her transformed state, just in her base state. I guess that kind of makes sense. You know, you need to, like, you need to build up your normal strength and if you can do that you can use that to control your simpho powers i guess but still that's like you know that's your super form you're not going to summon up those gatling guns just on your own yeah right it's like you need to be like a uh, goku and gohan in the uh, hyperbolic time chamber you need to be super saiyan all the time exactly so that's just although the, the montage was cute it kind of gives habiki a, a father figure I wish they did more with that, like him being like this mentor figure, because after this, we don't really get much. He just becomes the guy who just gives them missions and tell them, tells them where to go. Yeah, it's, for a guy as strong as him, he should be in the field more often, because 
as long as the threat isn't noise, he can get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, he should be the one, like, protecting citizens from, like, falling buildings and stuff like that and, like, evacuating people. Exactly. Like, I keep hearing people say he's, like, the strongest in the series, but he doesn't do anything. At least Saitama just, like, doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> just this guy, he's just... He just doesn't... <laughs> does he not want to help or anything? Or does he just have all this faith in the Simfo gears? Look, Union mandates him he can only interfere twice a month. <laughs> <laughs> OSHA requires this. <laughs> uh, sorry, girls, it's uh, in my contract. I only got uh, two fights this month and I already used them up, so uh, you're on your own. See ya. <laughs> my compensation doesn't cover this. <laughs> Let's, uh, we'll, we'll get back to you next month. I'll, uh, I'll try to you try to fill my quota more, uh, more, uh, regularly, you know, just, uh, just, uh, hang on a bit. I, I, I have the utmost faith, faith in you. Come on. We can go watch some more <laughs> Bruce Lee movies. Uh, Hibikita, get your training. Let's go watch Enter the Dragon. <laughs> or better yet, have you seen Rumble in the Bronx? That's a great movie. <laughs> I'm not expecting that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, anyways. So, yeah. Hibiki trains with Genjiro. Gets stronger. <laughs> uh, are we at the scene with the mansion now? Oh, my God. This part. Oh, gee. Do you want to set the scene, or? Oh, yeah. So, uh, pic picture, if you will, folks at home. Like, you know, opulent mansion out in the countryside, you know, by the mountains. And uh, we hear some talking, but... It's not in Japanese because, uh, you know, this uh, this whole show, no English dub, all, all in Japanese. But we hear, we do hear English, and it's some really, really bad English. Which, I know, English is a hard language, but... It is. It is hard. They could have hired a voice actress to do this. Yeah, but it, it just, it just sounds silly. Like, I'll splice some of it in. Solomon's cane. What happened to the activation test of Holy Relic we handed over? As reported, patient test of holy relic significant level of chronic gain. It can be done so easy. Black art. Unveiling the vanished prehistoric civilization technology and definitely making it be our own. So it's give and take. I appreciate for it support from your country. I require your success on the document today too. So you absolutely have a mind to use me. If that's the case, let's see your action that matches this deal. Of course, sir, I understand. As there is a saying that more docile dog is longer to live. We hear this, we hear someone talking, and we see it's a woman, blonde-haired woman, wearing, you know, thigh-high stockings, he high heels, and nothing else. Literally just standing around naked for no reason. <laughs> No reason. It's like, we saw this and we were just freaking out about this. Like, why is she naked, though? Yeah, why? That this, just on the phone, just, oh, yes, you are not <laughs> doing this correctly. <laughs> and yeah, she's talking to her uh, collaborators in America, because apparently America wants to steal one of the uh, relics for their own. Yeah, that's kind of a that's a that's a that's a bit of a subplot that doesn't really get fleshed that much. That apparently there's like some kind of arms race between all the countries for like uh Sinfo gear relics and other relics too. So it's like, oh, she's uh, helping the Americans try to get one of these relics, I guess. And apparently, America and the EU have like 
fallen economically to Japan. So that's yeah. Oh my, <laughs> we'll get to how the EU handles their economic decline. Brexit <laughs> <laughs> was hard on everybody. Okay. <laughs> This is why you all should have gone out and voted and not be complacent. <laughs> yeah, now Lee, uh, Lee Lout can uh, fund his rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we see this uh, naked woman here. And not only is she naked, but she's also doing weird, kinky torture shit to uh, Chris as a punishment for not uh, taking care of Subasa and Hiviki. I'd like to uh, say... Chris right now is strapped to what looks like that torture device from Metal Gear Solid 1. And uh, yep. he's in full leather bondage outfit and just kind of there. <laughs> the the blonde lady is just uh, electrocuting her as a punishment. And just it's it feels like it's just straight out of some weird, creepy fetish movie. It feels very much like. Someone just wanted to portray this. It's it's not consensual. Also, Chris is a minor, and she's like, well, she looks like forty. Yeah. Oh my god. Just even even more wrong stuff here. And in, I look at this, and I have to remind myself: this is the show that people defend, and that people say to watch all the time. Yeah. So yeah, Chris gets electrocuted. So what's this woman's name? Uh. So this woman, she's called a uh, Fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, she's uh, she's off off to the side. You know, she has her like her own uh, ulterior motives right here. You know, she needs like uh, these relics to like uh, fulfill her plans, and uh, she's using Chris to do so. You know, she's giving Chris like her a bit of like her uh, powers to uh, handle uh, Subasa and uh, Hibiki. We basically are led to believe that like there's something to do with Chris's past and how it was traumatic and. Fine was the one to rescue her from that life, so she's, like, her only source of happiness, but, like, she's torturing her while also giving happiness, so it's trying to make that effed-up parental mechanic, but it falls flat, because we never see any actual love given, or fake love. I don't even think we even see a scene where, like, she get she, like, helps Chris, like, finds her and saves her, like, that would... It, they don't really give us any more reason as to, like, why Chris is with Fine right here. Or maybe they do, and like I said before, they just gloss over it pretty fast. Well, we see, like, a, a very brief clip montage, like, three seconds long of a very tiny Chris being, like, sold off into some child slavery in a war zone. We don't really see much of, like, uh, the relationship between Chris and Fine right here, like, they don't really get that over, like, how Chris is so dedicated to her, hence why she doesn't leave when she does, like, the these uh, abusive stuff right here. It's very much not very well done, because there's no conflict here. There's no love to be weighed against the abuse. It's just kinky, just for the sake of being weird and kinky. <sighs> Again, it's supposed to be terrifying, but it's shot like it's supposed to be titillating. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we hear more about like how Subas is doing. She survived the climax song and everything. And like, I guess uh, they try to explain it right here as to like why it didn't uh, kill her or anything like that. But I don't know. I guess the climax song took pity on her and just kept her alive. I don't know. Maybe she use the full bar. I don't know. This series is notorious that at least we've noticed for like these two seasons where it's like there's a lot of questions, but there's barely any answers. Yeah, they set up a lot of pegs, but they don't 
you know, set them up properly. No, and uh, speaking of setting some stuff up, here is where we get a bit of a plot point right here with the uh, Durandal sword. Oh, yes. I, I had to look this up, and apparently this is actually a sword of, uh, a sword of legend. As it was the sword that belonged to Roland, who was the paladin of uh, Charlemagne. And uh, in the poem uh, Le Chanson de Roland, the sword is said to contain within its uh, golden hilt the tooth of St. Peter, the blood of Basil of uh, Caesarea, hair of St. Denis, and a piece of the uh, raiment of Mary, mother of Jesus. And, uh, the and it is known to be the sharpest sword in all of existence. So this, this is a big legendary sword that has been told in like, many many uh stories and tales throughout all of history and yes. it's being used here in this uh booby show yeah and also it's of note because all other simple gears have been shards of ancient weapons like gungnir like ame no habakiri but this is a full complete relic and the way they explain how uh the disaster team has it it's <laughs> it's ridiculous so so it, uh, it originally belonged to uh, the EU, the European Union. They gave it to the Japanese government as collateral for shouldering part of their large debt because they've been going through some harsh economic times lately. <laughs> yeah, that didn't age well, did it? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Only a few years before it happened. Oh, boy. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> anyway I, so what what I, happens I just, to Durandal why is it being transported I, I just I still can't just shake the fact that the EU is all like oh sorry oh thanks you for helping us uh and not fall into uh into massive debt uh here have this ancient sword of legends <laughs> this will be good collateral right yeah it's not like we could use this to you know pressure some creditors to be like sure well we'll forgive some loans <laughs> Yeah, why don't you uh, meet my friend Durendal here, and uh, we could uh, forgive some of these uh, extensive debts here, wouldn't you say, mate? <laughs> mate. <laughs> <laughs> They're all oi, mate. <laughs> oi, 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 bruv. We got the sword here. <laughs> you want, you want, are we going to have a problem, bruv? Are we going to have a problem there? <laughs> You're having a laugh if you think we're going to pay after I have this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking burst you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah they're transporting Durandal to some location we we don't really get it clear why it's being transported i think it's like uh the noises are just attacking too much so it's like oh we need to uh transport it to a, a new location to keep it safe or something i don't know yeah but basically they get cut off in traffic and ambushed by a bunch of americans big big footballer looking guys <laughs> yeah and like in like shield tactical gear and they're just like mowing down all of these people right here like if you looked at this you would think it was from like a different anime you wouldn't think this is in symphogear. gear yeah you would think this would be like i don't know a steinsgate thing or something it's totally feels like the raid in steinsgate <laughs> seriously like it looks terrifying but then they go out they like talk to the defense minister and then we smash cut to ryoko being all peppy yeah, like we get all of these blood and guts, and then we just get to Ryoko being all like, da, 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 I'm so peppy. Da, da. Yeah, it's. It, I feel like I'm on crazy pills because, like, you just show me this horrifying thing, and then suddenly, wow, guys, isn't it great how <laughs> how peppy we are over here? Right, and it's like, 
again, the samurai flamenco vibes aren't going away because flamenco did that exact same thing where it's like, oh, here's a scene where like one character is being tortured to death. And then here's Masayoshi like stopping at every traffic light because he's a dumbass. Isn't this funny? Yeah, it's is this supposed to make me like laugh? I, I don't understand what you're going for. <laughs> it's all so confusing. Oh, my God. It's and then it gets it gets even more confusing here because like, OK, so. Hibiki knows this. She knows that she has to, like, protect this uh, sword and go on a mission. So, like, there's a bit where, like, she comes home. Miku is all angry at her for, like, uh, flaking on her all the time. And then Hibiki leaves again. Yeah, she comes home. Miku's mad. And then Hibiki just takes off again. Like, why would you come home if you're just going to ditch? <laughs> yeah, why, what was the point of that? Like, at this point, Miku is still being understanding. Like, she's not pissed yet. Uh, it's also, I was to say, that attack also meant nothing because Durando just makes its way back to the vault just inexplicably. Yeah, oh my god, the chase sequence, like, it's so weird. So it's like, okay, so we get this chase sequence for Durandal. All the noises are going after it. There's so many weird bits where, like, okay, the, the it's like this entourage of cars, like, uh, escorting it to the new location. They're on a bridge. The bridge breaks. And, and one of the cars just, like, falls off the uh, the edge of the, the bridge, you know, the broken parts. Uh-huh. And it just explodes for no reason. Yeah, well, the highway just collapses. It didn't explode, it just, like, crumbled. <laughs> yeah, and then just this car just, like, falls off, and then it's just like, oh, I guess, <laughs> just boom, explosion. Yeah, it, I don't understand why. And then, and then we have the noises, like, trying to, like get to the to the entourage through the sewers and it looks like uh, it looks like the perfect chaos attack in sonic adventure where they're like bursting through the sewers i can't take any of this seriously because this isn't shot to be terrifying it's just air it's just weird dumb action it feels like a michael bay movie it does (laughs) it's it's ambulance too <laughs> Megan, Fox would, Megan Fox would come out of Simpo gear. <laughs> yeah, oh my. Uh, they would, the weebs would add like a whole new re- legion of horny fanboys to their army. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the chase was very bizarre. It was so bizarre. Hibiki, she's like, oh, I gotta protect the Durandal, so it's Morphin time. She has to fight while uh, Chris is there summoning all these noises. At uh, one point, uh, Hibiki, she gets knocked down and is about to get attacked, and then Ryoko steps in and uh, makes, like, a barrier to stop all of these noise attacks. Oh, yeah, she's magic, too. Yeah, I guess, and uh, don't 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 worry about that. It's, it's fine. Everyone's magic, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and then... <laughs> So Hibiki gets back up, and then she fights by wielding the Durandal, and it looks like the she basically does like the uh, the thunder, 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 thundercats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right here. Oh, and we should clarify who's she fighting here with the noise. Oh, she's fighting Chris here. Oh yeah, so it's uh, Chris solo against Hibiki because Subasa's in the hospital. Yep, she's still stuck in the local medical facility. Yeah, so we just kind of just jump just to random places here. Just, why not? Yeah, and just, Hibiki is wielding this magic sword and just wrecking all of this shit. And, like, and they're also fighting in, like, that same factory from the first episode, too. So, eh, you gotta reuse those backgrounds, I guess. Ah, uh, of course, why not? 
But yeah, Habiki's uh, evil while wielding the thing. She gets the shadow face again and the red eyes. Yep, uh, turns into the red eyes black dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god, yes. You can't handle my new cot, said Okaiba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got a thousand more attack and... <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. Oh, so yeah, she beats Chris back and the barrier stops the attacks from hitting Hibiki. I just look at all this and I'm just like, Hibiki just levels this entire factory right here. It's look at all of this destruction. Yeah, they they very much don't care about collateral damage in this show cuz at the very end, we see just the noise fill the whole city and they just, just nuke the city. <laughs> Yeah, oh my god, it's it's like that Spongebob joke. We did it, Patrick, we saved the city. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so they saved Randall. that's great. Yep, everything's fine, and Ryoko's all like, okay, we, do, we don't have to worry about it moving anymore, we can just keep it back at uh, the home base before, so it, it, every, every, everything was pointless there. Also just tells Hibiki not to tell anybody she can summon barriers, because... Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a, it's a secret. I just use magic. Yeah, I do magic. Moving on from that, we uh, rejoin Chris back at uh, the mansion, and uh, here we see her uh, casual outfit, and it's weird. A really weird-looking outfit. Yeah, it's like latex over her chest, and then, like, a nice dress. Like, red dress. Yeah, this, like, long sleeve dress shirt thing with like mesh over her like cleavage and stuff yeah it's it looks like the uh, the kind of latex that's on their battle outfits just over her chest it's like oh god i bet that that's why a lot of people say chris is best girl because she wears that well at least season two she gets a better outfit <laughs> that is true she's back at the mansion now yeah and this is around the time we get some more of those like sad backstory hints you know about her being like a war orphan and stuff and like how Afine was the one who brought her in and stuff uh, it is a Hidokajima thing got child soldiers <laughs> yes <laughs> and big booby ladies of course <laughs> <laughs> and nano machines yeah son <laughs> <laughs> yeah we see we see Subasa. she's learning how to walk again take a z-pack girl and then uh, we get back to uh, Miku and uh, Hebes as they did this weird bath scene between the two right here. It's, it it's was awkward. very weird because, like, while they're having this nice moment, it just leers at Habiki just sitting down. <sighs> and then Miku starts poking and grabbing at her, going all like, oh, you've been gaining a lot of muscle and are these scars on your body? It's the typical, like, harem, like, wow, what's going on, on the other side of the fence? Uh, it's, it's one of those like uh, fill in the blanks weebs. Yes, it lists any harem here, and it has a hot spring episode. Ugh. Ugh. And then we just get more and more instances of like stuff coming up and keeping Hibiki away from Miku and stuff like how she how she has to go and see Subasa at the hospital. We did we do get actually a kind of a cute scene here where like a uh, she sees Subasa's like a uh, messy hospital room and she has to like clean it up, you know, because she's a uh, she's wallowing in her own filth right here. Which, by the way, is no one like nursing this girl? Is no nurse like, hey, let me clean this room up for you? <laughs> no, no, she's fine. She's she's there with her IV that looks like <laughs> like chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her IV is weirdly brown. 
which I've never seen an IV that's brown. <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to look like that. I mean, I haven't been in a hospital recently, but still. Well, I have been, and I can tell you that. <laughs> see, it's saline or medication inside saline. It's not brown. <laughs> no, they don't just put Yoohoo in there. <laughs> <laughs> look, it's the boss needs her chocolate milky. <laughs> she needs some chalky milk, like Taki in my go. <laughs> <laughs> so this is now the uh, my go podcast <laughs> yeah welcome to the my go podcast and we're gonna talk about a better anime now instead of this piece of shit <laughs> so Hideo uh, Kojima, it, you've all been lured in with a distraction uh device and next snap from behind <laughs> yeah 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 this whole podcast was just basically the tanker incident from metal gear solid 2 and now we're the part where you play as raiden now <laughs> <laughs> it's like kept you waiting huh but no uh i did like this scene where hibiki shows up just to check on tsubasa and sees the absolute sty of her room tsubasa's all embarrassed so that's that's kind of cute we see her not be so serious yeah she's like uh letting her guard down and being more vulnerable to hibiki here yeah and we see hibiki you know cleaning up the room you know being nice trying to connect with tsubasa because hibiki i do give her credit for this she does like to talk her way into stuff. She wants to connect with people. She doesn't want to just punch stuff just because she's good at it. The actual fighting is, like, seen as a last resort for her. And, like, it is somewhat endearing that she's, uh, she really feels like the kind of person who would, like, try to be friends with everyone that she meets. Yeah, she's your typical shonen person. It's endearing. So you see them kind of connect while Hibiki's uh, cleaning up her room and... Yeah, and they just, uh, you know, they both bond over, like, wanting to protect people and what it means to uh, give your life for others and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, Tsubasa tells her about Hanade and Zui Wing and how she feels like she was alone this whole time because no one else was in Simpho Gear. It had to be her or nothing at all. Yeah, because, like, that's... Kanade is the only person she ever really knew and really connected, so it's like... It's kind of hard to replace that in her life. Which, yeah, that's fair. Which, I like that about her character. There's some some complexity to that. Having someone you deeply care about, it's like trying to figure out, like, uh, if you have that resolve to fight to protect the ones you love. Which, Habiki does give a speech about that. She says, I want to protect the people I love, which is like Miku. I want to protect my mundane life. You know, that's... That resonates with Tsubasa, shows that Hibiki has something she wants to protect too. Which, you know, I'll give props for that. That, Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely give credit to that. <laughs> Speaking of Miku... Oh, oh! This is so weird. This is so dumb. <laughs> so, after Hibiki flakes again, you know, Miku's all like, oh, I'm gonna go to, a, to the library and check out a book. And as she's at the library, <laughs> she turns to look out the window... <laughs> She can see the hospital across the window, and she sees Hibiki and Subasa talking in their hospital room. Yeah, like, why does Subasa's hospital room have this like fourteen foot glass window that's just next to a library? Yeah, why aren't the curtains drawn or anything like that? Like, can someone just look in and see an operation going on? <laughs> Yeah, just all like, oh, I'm gonna go to the library to read to read of mice and men. Oh, I can see open heart surgery to the right of me. <laughs> also, like, Tsubasa's a celebrity. Like, if the paparazzi see her there, they're gonna come knocking. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna stake out that library and just start snapping pictures of her because she wouldn't close the dang blinds. Yeah, and they'll be like, Tsubasa injured. What happened? And then the rumor mill will start. I don't understand why she has the 14 foot windows. 
facing <laughs> another building. Yeah, just, why why is there a library next to a hospital? Uh, so yeah, Miku sees Subasa and Miku hanging out, so she's like, she is cheating. She's like, oh, oh, I see how it is, Hibiki. You like the idol girl instead of your longtime girlfriend that you cuddle with every night. Yeah, you're choosing C, Catherine, and not K, Catherine. <laughs> Make, making the worst decisions, by the way. <laughs> by the way, yeah, Polly's just a Vasa fan. She is not C, Catherine. <laughs> no, no, she's she's better than that. Yes, if anything, she is K, Catherine. Yes, <laughs> best Catherine. Miku, she's all sad about seeing Hibiki cheating on her, and then uh, Chris shows up and attacks her. Oh, yeah, of course. She's just here, and then uh, Hibuku shows up, and uh, she's all like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. I guess I gotta transform to protect my mooks. And then she transforms and protects Miku. Yeah, and Miku's all like, why are you in this outfit? <laughs> Does it have to be so revealing? Yeah, like, only I should be seeing this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for my eyes only. Are, are, is, isn't that our thing, you know? Yes. Anyways, so yeah, Hibiki transforms and punches a car that's heading towards Miku, and Chris is like, whoa, you're here too? <laughs> we see how Hibiki tries to reason with Chris as he just tries to open up to her, you know, tells her everything about herself because she wants to be friends and not fight. Yeah, Lily rattles off, like, her name, her height, her student number, you know. She's, <laughs> I did laugh at this, though, when she said, uh, I'll tell you my weight when we become closer friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's actually cute. That's very cute. I think it's like Hibiki awakens like a new power for the Gungnir because she uh, she basically gets like the big O punch from the anime Big O, where like it kind of like revs up and then it just like uh, adds in some like extra impact when uh, she goes for a punch. Yeah, it kind of like something pulls back and then launches forward to help her fist get more momentum. It is straight out of Big O, you know, cast in the name of God, ye not guilty. So yeah, she she punches Chris in the gut, launches her backwards. She's all shocked. <laughs> this leads to a great bit that we discovered while we were marathoning this. Because like, okay, we get, to, we get the punch and then it cuts to Miku watching this happen and then she just has like tears in her eyes, you know, crying at the sight. Cuts the credits. Next episode, Starts with that same shot of Miku crying for like five seconds, and then immediately Smash cuts to the opening. Yeah, it's like, why? You should have done the OP and then do that. Yeah, like, what was the point of that? Why did, did you even need a cold opening there? It's so bizarre. We get more Hibiki trying to be friends with Chris. She adds a, the Chan honorific to her, and I'm just all like, don't, don't use those combinations of words, please. Which, yeah, I know this wasn't a thing in Japan, but for us Westerners, it's kind of, yeah. She loses the fight, but then she, like, she sheds the Sinfo gear power that she was wearing previously. Like, she just explodes her clothes off of herself, and then she gets a new Sinfo gear power. Yeah, a different one. <laughs> and her new power is guns. Yeah, lots and lots of guns. Guns, 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 guns. It's so ridiculous. Like, she just pulls out these crazy Gatling guns and just starts firing like crazy. And, like, as the series goes on, she gets, like, missiles and rockets and shit. Yeah, and, like, her battle music, instead of being, like, Irish-Scottish music or, like, J-pop, it's, like, hard rock. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, it's it's the Shadow the Hedgehog theme, you know. Do you remember <laughs> me after you would set me free? <laughs> I am all, I am all, I am. If we had any Simple Gear fans still watching, that just ended it right there. 
<laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I just, the one person who stuck around, the one fan who was all like, okay, I'll give them a little bit more of a chance. Is Oh, this jackass is singing I Am All of Me. Fuck this shit. You, person who stayed behind, I appreciate you. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the fact that you stuck around this long. You have a lot of guts. Okay, I want to preface <sighs> this. If anybody would like to tell me exactly why they particularly love Symphogear, I would love to know. Because I can't see it. <laughs> Please, if anyone out there wants to explain this to us, feel free. Feel free to let us know. Yes, I will gladly hear you out and not be judgmental. It's like, it's like we're, we're, we're all friends here, you know, you might not like the same animes, but, you know, we can, we can understand each other. Okay, anyway, so... What happens after uh, she punches Chris with the armored gear? Uh, Chris unleashes the uh, the Mega Death Party, which is the the name of her attack right here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but then Chris gets back on the offensive, and then Subasa comes comes rolling in. You know, here I come to save the day. Yeah, she's she's uh she's hurt, but she's here to here to help. This part confuses me a little bit, where like noises start attacking all three of them, and then Hibiki protects Chris from the random noise attacks. It's it's really weird, because why is Fine attacking her minion? I guess, like, Fine is just all like, oh, I'm done with you now. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I gotta point out, Fine just, she's here, and she's looking like Carmen Sandiego with her outfit. Oh, yeah, she least shows up and just like, wow, Chris, you failed me. Even though <laughs> she just transformed, as in mid-fighting them, you just, you just throw up the white flag and just say, now leave. <laughs> yeah, it's like, eh, I'm doing this myself. Fuck you. Like, she didn't stick around either. She just calls off her minion and that's it. Like, yeah. Like, uh, Subasa's hurt and Habiki has been hurt by the guns. It's like, you were on the track to winning. Yeah, just, uh, I guess she wants to give them a sporting chance or something. I don't know. Doesn't seem like a very Fine plan to me. No. <laughs> 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 oh, then after this, uh, Miku gets taken to the disaster base and gets the, uh, the deets on the Symphogears gears and the noises. Finally. Oh, yeah, this non-seek organization finally fills her in about their mission. I'm glad they're finally telling her, but, uh, wish you could have told her yourself, Hibiki. Yeah, again, this isn't a secret. She knows about the noise. It's on TV. Like we said, you're just making her worry by not, by not saying anything. Yeah, and she sees it with Tsubasa. She thinks that you're doing something with her. Yes, that too. And, like, she's seen the training and everything. It's so dumb. Uh, but uh, we do at least get a fun a good moment here where, like, uh, Hibiki comes home and Miku's there waiting for her, basically going all, welcome home, cheater. Yeah, she's all pissed, just, you know, doing her homework. Hibiki tries to, like, try get her attention, and she just says, <laughs> well, I'm gonna go, go to bed. Goes into her bunk and just starts sleeping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go up to sleep with Hibiki. Goes into her bunk. <laughs> Yeah, that bottom bunk that she never uses. Like, that's how you know she's really mad. Yep. Also, I like to note, Hibiki doesn't apologize ever. No, she doesn't. She tries to be all like, uh, about earlier, um, She just tiptoes around everything, and then Miku's all like, I'm done with your crap. Yeah, like, I'd be pissed too. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you can't talk your way out of this, Hibiki. Yeah, that's like hearing your freaking partner is off, I don't know, in the National Guard while you just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little something that you could tell her in case something bad happens to you. Yes. It's so yeah, they 
they don't sleep in the same bed. It's all, it's good to see Miku standing up for herself because to this point, Habiki has been an awful girlfriend. The worst girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, because like, the, the secret shouldn't be a secret. But even if it was, you could just be like, oh, I'm helping save people. <laughs> something, anything, really. Not just say, oh, I'm doing something else. Bye. Yes. Anyways, yes. So uh, what's going on with Chris right now? Uh, she's yelling at some kids in the park, like you do. <laughs> <laughs> this scene is so dumb, where it's like, she so sees two crying lost kids, and she's all like, hey, you kids stop fighting. She's like, we're not fighting. She's like, shut the fuck up, little Jimmy. <laughs> yes, you're fighting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These kids are like, like eight years old, eight, nine years old. Why are there so many lost kids in the city? Because we had, like, the lost little girl at the start of the show. We got these two wiener kids here. It's like... I mean, noise. They probably kill a lot of parents. That is very true. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, uh, this whole scene is just to get over that, oh, she's uh, she can be nice when she wants to be, as she helps these kids find their daddy. Like with Hibiki saving that little girl, Chris just takes these two kids and into this shopping district and... Oh, here's their parent. Cool. <laughs> like, what did that do besides just show Chris not totally irredeemable? Yeah, I guess. Just like, oh, she can be nice if she, I don't know, had some motivation or something. I don't know. I don't know. She's nice to kids. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> For the kids. Yeah, so. I guess if she was a child soldier, you know, she's nice with kids, but yeah. Chris is all like, I don't need Fine anymore. I'm going to go on my own now. And yeah, divorce. Yep. <laughs> Which then leads to, uh, so after ditching Fine, Chris just uh, is just off on her own fighting noises. And then uh, Miku uh, finds her conveniently in some uh, alleyway the next day. Oh, yeah, it's pouring down rain. And Miku is just distraught about Habiki being evasive. So she just looks over and sees Chris just hanging out in the side of the, of the alley while it's raining, like it's she's a homeless person, so. Yeah. And she's all injured because she was fighting noise, too, and. She takes her to, like, the uh, the lady who runs the Okonomiyaki uh, shop and uh, uh, nurses her back to health. Yeah, even though she saw Chris was the evil one fighting Hibiki, she still, like, healed her up because Miku is just that great. She just, she just has a good heart. She's a good girl. Which, to be fair, she did see Habiki try and reason with her. And of course, uh, Chris being all soon-soon about uh, Miku uh, trying to help her out here. Oh, of course. She's all, she's an accept kindness. And like, is all like, what's your aim here? And like, I just, don't need your pity. Yeah. She's very much the, the soon-soon of the group. Oh, yeah, she is. And I guess that's why people love her, because uh, yes, Cinderella is an easy archetype to like, I guess. Oh yeah, like I'm a very I'm a very big fan. <laughs> Story stuff is happening here, yada yada yada, and then like Miku does open up a little bit about how she's like getting into a fight with someone she cares about, and uh, I like that Chris tells her to just beat her up. Yeah, exactly, because that's how she knows how to deal with problems. Just beat them up. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? Oh, you broke up with your ex too? Same here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go beat her ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I'll beat up my mom while you beat up your girlfriend. Yeah, it's like, it's easy, Miku. Just run up to her and just say, let's see you grit those teeth and just deck her in the face. <laughs> Miku just runs up and just goes, eh. Yeah, <laughs> she just does a little baby punch. <laughs> and Habiki just doesn't know how to react. 
it's like that scene in Fruits Basket when Toru tries to throw a punch to Kyo and she just like boops him in the shoulder and he's like, that was terrible. <laughs> at least that's endearing. <laughs> that's, yeah, at least that's cute. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> if you guys haven't noticed, uh, we are also watching Fruits Basket together. Yes, and it is beautiful. Yes, it's my first time watching it and it is beautiful. I'm so happy I get to watch this with you and see you experience it for the very first time. Yes. Plus, I get too off track with uh, Simple Gear here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is a point where we got to crank up the noise and turn out the lights as we get more uh, noise attacks here. Oh, yes. Chris gets to defend Miku this time. Yep. And uh, I will say her fighting noises does kind of look cool here. You know, kind of uh, she's doing more than just standing still and firing her guns. Like she's actually throwing in some like uh, martial arts moves in there, too, and like using some dodging techniques and stuff oh yeah she's like slamming her cannon to someone she's you know doing kicks and stuff it's quite well well animated this little sequence and then after that we get a bit where uh hibiki and miku uh they reunite and they hide from a noise that's uh this weird octopus looking thing that kind of acts like a liquor from re2 where it's like their their movements are based on sound yeah and hibiki's not transformed at this point so she's like oh miku you're alive and she just goes they basically, like, make up over text right here. Yeah, because they can't talk, so they text each other. Uh, these these typical Zoomers, I swear. Yes, but why is this so frustrating, Mikey? There's, a, there's many things that's frustrating about this. So first <laughs> off, Miku apologizes to Hibiki for, like, what she did because she felt she was being mean to her, like, after the whole explanation thing. And it's like, no! Bibiki should be apologizing to you, not the other way around. Exactly. She was on being evasive. She was the one not telling you anything. Like, you are understandably annoyed. Yes, like, you are not in the wrong, Miku. This is, none of this is your fault. You have every right to be upset about her. As a way to show that she's sorry, not Hibiki sorry, Miku's sorry, she ends up using herself as bait to get the octopus noise away from uh, Hibiki and from attacking some other civilians. Yeah, because... Uh, so she's just all like... Apparently Miku is the uh, track star, so she, in theory, has more stamina than Hibiki, but they show mid-season Hibiki passing Miku in <laughs> track, so that doesn't even hold water anymore. <laughs> they do the bit in, like, uh, Winter Soldier with, like, Captain America running with Falcon, you know, on your left. Yep, that, they do exactly that, and... You could just look at all and just like, wow, how much has that girl been training? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> if she's a track star, like... <laughs> yeah, it's just... <laughs> but but also, it's like, Hibiki, transform, and you do it. Yeah, it takes like three seconds to transform. So, Miku leads the tentacle monster away. Also, why did it have to be a tentacle monster? Oh, uh, yes, it gets all gross as it's chasing Miku and looks all perilous. It's another thing where... I like to call it the make a dojin of this anime fans. Uh. <laughs> Please don't. I don't want to see that. Hibiki catches up. She transforms and uh, she saves Miku from the monster and then they make up. Which again, isn't the issue. Hibiki never apologizes. It's just Miku going, oh, I'm so sorry for you must have been in so much pain. I couldn't help you. It's like, no. Hibiki, it's easy. Just say, I'm sorry for being such an ass butt, Miku. Yes, I was worrying you to death while I was off being a tokusatsu hero. But no, we get like Miku just like uh, pouring her heart out to her. And then just Hibiki is all like, <laughs> your face is dirty. And that's all she says. That is 
Mika's gives this like two minute long speech of like, I'm sorry, you're such a big person in my life. And Hibiki just goes, yeah, your face is dirty. It's just, ugh, why? Like, I get she's like 14, but still. I guess, but it's like, you should at least know, have some sense of tact right here. Yes, otherwise it makes me wonder why they're even together. Right, I guess they, I bet they just got paired up randomly in some, in like the roommate search and then just like, Miku just settled. Yeah, because, well, also their room is freaking massive. It looks like a, oh my god, it looks like a, like a presidential suite. Yeah, it's like this big studio apartment like thing that's that's so huge with like their bunk beds and like their little sitting area and their computers that are shaped like trapezoids. Yeah, I'd say it's about four times the size of my apartment. Yeah, probably the same as mine. It's crazy. Anyway, so yeah, they have this big touching moment after they save each other and yeah. Anyway, after this, we see that the commander is taking care of Chris and she's on the run, but she's still being sensitive about it. This is where we get the details about her being a uh, a war orphan from a uh, Valverde, which uh, <laughs> I, I I looked this up just wondering like, oh, is this a real place? And one of the first results is uh, a, as I found out that uh, there's a Valverde in California and there's a Valverde County in Texas. So it just made my mind wander where it's like, I like to think Chris is a war orphan from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had a dub of uh, Simple Gear. I want to see Chris with a heavy Texan accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Simple Gear. <laughs> you ding dang done done it now, son. <laughs> I'll see you here, buddy. That, that, that's like freaking mobster. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> My name's Chris, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just. I just want to imagine her just, like, talking like Applejack from My Little Pony. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Hey there, Hibiki. Want to go do some apple bucking together? Nothing like some you're in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, there's apparently was some war in the USA. So, yeah, we had Civil War 2.0, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> uh, this is what happens when they elect Trump again. Oh, God. <laughs> So, and apparently uh, Chris's parents died in this war because they tried to bring music to people or something. I don't know. Yeah, this is I don't get. Because they said the NGO was meant to bring music to war-torn places. So, what are they doing? Just pumping Taylor Swift in the middle of a war? I don't know much music in battle besides just, like, the person with the bugle to, like, change formations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I don't understand their, the point of that mission, but, hey... Yeah, whatever, but uh, they died, and then Chris is all like, ah, oh, I hate my parents because they were stupid enough to be dead. That's her whole baggage right there. That's pretty much it. Yeah, they, they have a moment with uh, Genjiro, who, you know, talks about her backstory, how he tried to save her from being taken in by the, the gangsters. He couldn't do it, so he feels all regret. And they have a chat in the abandoned building she's stuck in, and she jumps out the window and transforms. <laughs> Yep, and then uh, she runs away. Yep, bye. <laughs> bye, bye, Zs. <laughs> how, how, do, how do we transition from, you know, uh, talking about Chris being a, a war orphan? We we cut to, like, uh, Hibiki, Miku, and Tsubasa going on, like, a triple date together. Yeah, that's really smash cut to this, which admittedly is a very cute sequence of Tsubasa acting all casual with Miku and Hibiki. I think it's Miku's first casual conversation with Tsubasa. 
So that's kind of cute. And like this whole date is actually pretty nice. Yeah, this, the date's one of my favorite parts of the show, honestly. Their, their outfits are very nice. If you get the chance to see them, they're all very nice. I like Subasa's big hat. <laughs> oh, yeah, the the big hat is very cute. She she looks like a Pokemon trainer. <laughs> she does! And like a... <laughs> Habiki is very pumped to like get something from the crane machine and it's just like oh, yells yeah. as she <laughs> presses the button. <laughs> yeah, she just just Aoyuki just letting out this big like war scream as she just like smashes onto like this UFO catcher button. Cosmic <laughs> <laughs> like Kiri just looks over and just goes, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go back to playing Virtua Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> she Damade needs to stop yelling. <laughs> <laughs> Bakamitai. Oh my god. Oh yeah, that was a very cute sequence. Also they show uh Tsubasa dodging the paparazzi and it's a very nice sequence of her trying to act normal with her new friends. Mm-hmm. They do some uh, karaoke together, too. Oh, yeah. It's the first time Tsubasa has sung since the concert for fun. She kind of gains her smile back, too, like, for uh, performing. Yeah, and it, she kind of has that uh, that moment of, you know, I can put on a concert again on my own. And then we get more noise attacks, and then that's pretty much it. Just, they fight, they win, yay. We rejoin Ryoko as she's in uh, the mansion that uh, Fine lives in. And... <laughs> She's at the uh, she's at the big computer, you're doing some research, and then a bunch of Americans come in and just start pumping her full of lead. Yeah, like why not? Why is she there? Is she a spy? Well, she's dead now. Sorry. Yeah, but oh, is she dead? She's just like she just uh, makes the barriers, and then power stuff happens. At <laughs> this is the point of the story where it's like. We were nearing the end game, and I was at, I was honestly kind of fading in and out with like the actual plot of the show. Because yeah, we were both just so like uninvested. We were just we don't care. We really we really don't care. Like oh, there's a story here. It doesn't matter. Just get to the fight so we can be done with it. Anyways, yeah. So they pump her full of lead, and then Chris runs in, and immediately behind her is Genjiro and his team. And she's like, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And he pats her head and just says, it's fine. We know we didn't do this. So were they like trailing her this whole time? <laughs> I guess so. Like as soon as Chris jumped out of that window, Commander is all like, uh, oh, pull, put out an APB for Chris Yukine, I guess. I guess so. Man, Chauvelin State's really high tech in 2011. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's all this weird bit where, like, uh, the whole mansion, like, blows up, but then everyone's fine. Like, Commander just, like, grabs, like, just holds his hands up and just, like, catches part of the ceiling to protect Chris, and then all the other MIBs are fine, too. Yeah, no one actually dies. It's just, oh, wow, that was a scene. It's just, everyone's minorly inconvenienced. Yeah, also, Chris goes on this whole tangent of, like, you can't have dreams, you're too old, Genjiro. Like, so my parents, they shouldn't have had dreams. It's like, uh, Commander then just gives Chris this, uh, just a big old never give up hustle loyalty respect speech, and then she's all like, oh, I guess I'm better now. Yeah, it like, how does that mess with her backstory? Like, is she torn by her affection for, for Fine and the pain that she causes her, or is she mad at her parents? It's like they forgot about that whole Fine thing. It feels like they just expect the audience to fill in the blanks half the time. It it does feel like that, because 
Like, why are you pissed at your parents for having been too old? Like, shouldn't you be more pissed that they're ineffectual? <laughs> I guess, or just, I don't know. She's probably just still upset that they died on her, which is like, don't think they have any power over that. Yeah, it's like, you should be pissed at the people who sold you into slavery, not like. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like the it's like the bit in the uh, the Ori Calcos arc of Yu-Gi-Oh, where like uh, one of the Ori Calcos guys, Alistair, he's all like, "Oh, I I hate everyone because war killed my family and my brother. Instead of like going after the country that did it, I'm gonna go after Kaiba because they because his company supplied the weapons to kill my brother." Yeah, that's like going after uh, Tony Stark, who's a weapon manufacturer, and not you know the country that used the missiles on you. Yeah, well, 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 don't you know Tony Stark built all this in a cave? Well, the box of scraps. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, her backstory is a mess. Like, at least Mubasa's is easily, like, parsed. And Hibiki doesn't need a backstory. She's just shonen hero. Tsubasa is the only one with, like, any actual depth in this show, really. Yes, and even that's just, you know, garden variety, just, oh, my friend died and I have to be the, the samurai. I have to be the blade. Yes, the only thing she knows for real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, in this conversation, uh, Commander, you know, hearing Chris talk about uh, Fine and whatnot, he's pretty much starting to suss out a uh, certain someone here. Oh, yes. And later on, we get back to Hebes and Mooks as they have uh, a big emotional moment. Hibiki talking about how uh, Miku's her sunflower. She's a big ray of light and she cares about her so much. She's just so darn good to her and everything and like how she'll never ever leave her for any reason yeah she's the best waifu <laughs> remember this for later yeah we got a point to make yeah we got a big point to make at the end here yep <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> uh, so we get to fight time again and chris sends her way into the brawl tsubasa and hibiki and chris fighting hibiki here she's acting way more clingy to Chris than she's ever done to Miku. Like, holy jeez. Oh, yeah, like, every other second, she's like, wow, Chris, you're joining us? Wow, you're so great. And Chris is just batting her away all Sunday-like, and you're being way more affectionate with Chris than you were ever with Miku. To go back to our comparisons to, like, uh, Kaneko and Mahiru, it's like, this is exactly that with for Miku. It's like she basically watching her girlfriend like be more clingy with some random new girl in her life. Yeah, a random new girl who hurt her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Chris is the low rent Yano or uh, Hikari. Yeah, it's not even that because at least Yano never like hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like this is fall. Like this would be if like Goku was all chummy with Vegeta. And just didn't care about Chi-Chi. Which, in all honesty, kind of is. Yeah, right? that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just care a lot more about Vegeta than Chi-Chi. Anyways, yeah, so they all fight. And Tsubasa doesn't trust Chris at all. But Hibiki makes them all hold hands and make a big triangle. And then uh, the power of friendship uh, saves the day. Yay. It doesn't, actually, because the school is under attack. Oh, no. Oh, no, not the students. No, students doing their homework. Because <laughs> I know when I'm a freaking person bent on a big reveal that we'll do it very soon, I'll attack a school. 
if if only it were like that bit in hard catch with uh Kira Marine being all like, "Oh, uh you're going to attack the, attack the school? Uh, that's okay. Go ahead and do that. I, I haven't finished my homework yet." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh all the uh, all the friend characters are like, "What's going on?" And they get just shuttled down an elevator into the the secret base. Cuz apparently that's below the school. <laughs> yeah, there's the, why did they build the base under a school? Like, is this like Resident Evil where they just put the lab under a decrepit mansion? Yeah, or a police station. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I take my coffee breaks in the police break room. It's a lot more lively than the the sub basement break room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, I'm out of sh I'm out of sugar. Do you have any more? Oh, sorry, it's uh, it's up in uh the uh the uh, the library in the police station. <laughs> <laughs> the key for the elevator must take ages every day. Uh, which key is it to use again? I think it's the diamond. No, 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 it's the club key. No, you're both wrong. It's the spade key. I thought it was the heart. See, this is also a bit of brilliance here, because everybody in this show is aware of anime, so clearly they made the uh, school on top of it, because they knew that their heroes had to be high school girls. And of course, our, our favorite anime girl is just constantly being all like, this is just like my animes. Yeah, this is just like my anime, uh, Zenkyo no Terror. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Even here, she has to equate everything to anime. It's bizarre. It's, it's so weird. What is this girl? I don't know, but she she needs to stop watching so much anime. Jeez, she needs to touch grass. Yeah, she needs to touch a freaking field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't you read a book and not a manga or a light novel, an actual book? It's not Doki Doki Literature Club, not Ski going, manga are books. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yes, everybody goes down to the the secret base, so I guess it's no longer a secret now. No, they're in the bunker, and then uh, Fiona shows up, and uh, she gets into a scrap with uh, Commander. Well, before that point, who did she fight? It's the ninja guy, the sus man, who was leading Miku down the, down the uh, elevator. Oh, yes, there's a bit where, like, uh, Miku gets separated as she's trying to, like, usher people to, like, the uh, the safety rooms. All the noises, she sends noises to attack Miku, and then Ogawa, like, drags her into the elevator. So noise goes through the elevator, but then the elevator goes down, and they just pop out the top, I guess? Anyway, so Ogawa's like, I know who the infiltrator is, it's... And then Fine comes down, and Ogawa destroys her elevator key so she can't go back up, and... Yeah, Commander Man comes up. He, he holds his own against Fine, but then uh, he gets distracted by her and then gets stabbed once and goes down like a punk. Well, let's let's see. What was the big reveal? Like, who is Fine? Oh, Fine, it turns out that she was Ryoko all along. Yeah, you know that inappropriate lady who was biting Habiki's ear and telling her to take off her clothes? That's the same lady who was hanging out naked and torturing Chris. And she makes Ogawa uh, pause because she made her face look like Ryoko's and it's like, Commander. So he stops and he gets impaled. Which, by the way, he almost beats the freaking final boss of this series right here. <laughs> like, without 
again, without Simfo powers, she he's he was so close to beating her, but then like it's just it's like wrestling, a simple distraction, and then you go down immediately. Yeah, he's got a glass jaw the size of freaking London. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, but even though he gets stabbed, he's okay. But uh, I'm I'm sorry, Genjiro. We couldn't save your tie. Oh yes, his tie is now red. Someone play uh, Unraveled. Fine starts talking about her motivations. But why is she doing this? Why is she making noise? While we were watching this, I, I couldn't fig make heads or tails of it, mainly because at that point I was just kind of brain dead, and so I wasn't really paying attention too much. But I looked it up, and this is her plan. So uh, first off, Fina is like this uh, spirit that has existed throughout the years in many, many different bodies. And uh, she just so happens to be controlling the body of Ryoko. You know, Ryoko, she was an actual person, you know, lived her life. And then Fine took over her body after uh, she witnessed uh, Kanade get her Simfo powers. Yeah, but via um, Tsubasa singing to the Phonic Stone, which made the powers work. And then uh, after, after being awakened, she created the—she started off this plan, which is, involves creating this base underneath the school— in actuality, making a giant laser to uh, destroy the moon to immerse the curse of Babel that had caused humanity to lose the one and only language it could to converse with God and each other. And at the same time, she wants to uh, destroy the moon to create worldwide chaos due to, you know, gravity and whatnot being like on the collapse mm -hmm. and all the destruction. And she hopes that all of this chaos and destruction would force humanity to bow to her out of fear. You know, she's all like, I'm going to blow up the moon, and everyone's going to be like, she's got the whole world in her hands. She's got the whole wide world in her hands. It's like, <laughs> that's her plan. And also, like, I kind of gloss over it. Her plan is to destroy the moon. Her plan is Dr. Eggman's plan from Sonic Adventure 2, specifically the fan dub. She's going to piss on the moon. I'm coming to make an announcement. Shadow the Hedgehog's a bitch-ass motherfucker. He pissed on my fucking wife. That's right. He took his hedgehog fucking quilly dick out, and he pissed on my fucking wife, and he said his dick was this big. And I said that's disgusting. So I'm making a call-out post on my Twitter.com. Shadow the Hedgehog, you got a small dick. It's the size of this walnut, except way smaller. And guess what? Here's what my dong looks like. <laughs> That's right, baby. All points, no quills, no pillows. Look at that, it looks like two balls in a bong. <laughs> he fucked my wife, so guess what? I'm gonna fuck the earth. That's right, this is what you get. My super laser piss. Except I'm not gonna piss on the earth. I'm gonna go higher. I'm pissing on the moon. <laughs> How do you like that, Obama? I pissed on the moon, you idiot! <laughs> you have 23 hours before the piss droplets hit the fucking earth. Now get out of my fucking sight before I piss on the 
Like, it gets even dumber because she wants to, quote-unquote, remove the curse of Babel to make this unified language so she can somehow talk to God again because she's in love with him. Like, Yeah, she, want, she wants to be God's number one or something like that, and she resents humanity for losing that one language to converse with God. Yeah, it's... I don't get even if he could converse with God, why would he, like, listen or talk back to you? It's like, lady, I'm everywhere. I listen to everyone. You're not special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say, Fide, that's uh, quite the plan you've got there. <laughs> I have other things to worry about, like these penguins. Look at them march. <laughs> Aren't they majestic? Except when they tap dance. You see, I uh, temporarily gave my powers to this this man, this man named Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got the powers of a mask, and then he said, "Smoking." Yeah, I was bored. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh... so uh, yeah. <laughs> so her uh, her whole thing is to. Take this big cannon that's right next to their base, by the way. So how'd they not notice this? And shoot the moon, blow it up, and supposedly lift this curse so she can converse with God. Yep, and then take over the world and stuff. Yeah, it's... So yeah, what what happens with uh, with uh, Chris? Chris, as a way to stop the laser from uh, blowing up the moon, she uses her climax song, you know, because she's just filled with... Filled with so much love and passion for the friends she's made along the way and how she forgives her parents for dying. She's all like, I, I learned the true meaning of friendship, Princess Celestia, so now I'm going to get in the way of this laser and use a big beam struggle to uh, stop it from blowing up the moon. Except it blows off a chunk, but it's fine. It happened in Sonic Adventure 2. Everything's grand. Yeah, everything's fine. And it hits Chris directly, too, and she just falls back to Earth and... No one catches her, by the way. They just stare at Chris falling to the ground. Yeah, like, they see her falling, and they're just, like, standing there in shock. And it's like, help her? Somebody run? You have superpowers? Do something? Yeah, and, yeah, Hibiki, Tsubasa, and Chris were all there to confront Fine as she summoned this gigantic laser from the ground. They try to play this off as, like, a very serious moment because they're they're trying to get us to believe that Chris died, which, lol, they're totally not going to. She's too marketable to keep to keep dead. Well, yeah, obviously. Also, it just doesn't feel satisfying enough to be a legitimate death. Just, it wasn't earned. Not, none of, that's a lot of the show. Like, they try to get these big emotional moments, but nothing is ever earned. Well, also because they just show her body falling to the earth. Like, if they wanted to kill her off, she would have just been adrift in space somewhere. Yeah, she would have been floating off in space like cars at the end of JoJo Part 2. Exactly, or she would have been vaporized, or something. Uh, anyways, episode 12. We're at the penultimate episode, people. <laughs> it's almost done. Ready our beam struggles. <laughs> uh, I will say the beam struggle is just kind of fun, but only in just like, oh, I, I've seen this in, in my anime. It's just like my animes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure the, the anime girl was looking up and it's like, wow, it's like my favorite anime, Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> It's like when Gohan and Goku did the father-son Kamehameha to defeat Perfect Cell. Uh, see, I'm an anime fan. You guys are anime fans, too. I'll make me your best girl. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do, fellow otaku? <laughs> I mean, by default, you're best girl on this podcast. Oh, God. 
Okay, so we smash cut. We get the recap of Chris, the beam struggle, falls to Earth. What uh, what happens to Hibiki after seeing this happen to her friend? Hibiki, she's she's so distraught at her bestest new best friend dying before her eyes. And then she's just filled with so much rage, 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 rage. And then she just goes, she just goes full on venom. Just go venom, 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 venom. <laughs> going on, get him, get him. Come, go get him. They ain't gonna know one hit him <laughs> when they get bit with that venom. Except this time, her whole body is a shadow. So the whole body didn't get detailed this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, I'm sure this must have been really easy to animate because you're, it's just a black silhouette with red eyes. Well, it's like those stick fig animations you see, like stick fights. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> Except, you know, those are, you know, one to two man projects, not studios with hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> a full anime with tons of hacking behind it. <laughs> yeah, Hibiki, as evil Hibiki, goes and attacks Fine, is all bloodthirsty, you know, she's not herself anymore, and this frightens the, the peanut gallery. Hibiki, what's wrong? This isn't like any anime I've ever seen. <laughs> Also, what music's playing in the background while this is all happening? We get this... Okay, so this is supposed to be a big, like, you know, emotional moment. Like, Hibiki is losing control, and also Tsubasa has got to, like, get her to regain her senses. And we just get this weird EDM dance music just going... It's so unfitting. Like, imagine putting that under, like, a Kimetsu no Yaiba episode where Andro's doing this big, epic, like... You hurt my sister. Like, imagine just... Yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was! <laughs> just, just splicey you, just splicey prism going oomph, 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 over, like, the big dramatic moment uh, from the first season when they uh, defeat the spider guy. That's what it was! This is generic, yeah. like, loop of music that you... Any garage band person can make in like five seconds <laughs> yeah it's just they just they just picked a random track from the ost like oh that's fine whatever yeah like this should have been like a big dramatic like you know hard guitars or operatic music or something <laughs> the series is all like oh are you feeling emotions right now and it's like no not really like <laughs> because of the weird tone stuff and like the fact that we're just kind of done with the series at this point we were just like making dumb jokes about seinfeld and milk Gear solid while <laughs> yeah. we're watching this <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with Simpho gears? There's no synth and there's no gears. <laughs> and what is up with these outfits? I mean, you're covering some stuff, but not all the stuff? I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> Did they get it half priced? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the rest of the clothes? Do you have to get a two for one sale to get the rest of them? a peek into what things sanity that we had i wish we recorded our our live reactions oh my god that would have been great if we just made like a commentary for all the episodes <laughs> maybe next time that's for your patrons <laughs> there you go <laughs> if i ever make one of those <laughs> uh anyways so uh we we cut down to the peanut gallery and uh which one of the friends is freaking out is it miku is it one of the two other friends Oh no, not at all. Like it's a it's our favorite girl, you know, the the true emotional core of this friend group right here. Anime girl. Yes. 
She is freaking out at Habiki looking like Shadow the Hedgehog attacking Fine. <laughs> She's all like, just like a big emotional mess just bawling all over the place. And Miku's got to be the one to say like, hey, get it together. Yes, you person who is just here. Also, my other friends are just fine with this. <laughs> friends that I don't even think they say their names in the show. If they did, we missed it. So they're just there for a friend group that Hibiki can have. Maybe for fodder in later seasons. <laughs> oh, geez. Or uh, I looked ahead to like season three and apparently they do like a weird bit where they sing a song about making beef stroganoff. Oh, I heard about that. Apparently that was, that's, yeah, I saw Pike post a happy stroganoff Sunday, people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to get that over. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, we're recording this on Sunday. If I don't know how long it'll take to get this one out. Yeah, but uh, at the time of this recording, happy stroganoff Sunday. Go eat some beef stroganoff without any beef. fight with Tsubasa. Tsubasa is able to like uh, stop Hibiki from rampaging by doing some uh, Shikamaru shit by uh, throwing a knife into her shadow and keeping her still. Which is an overpowered as F move. Like, she could have done that with Chris and she would have been in place at that start fight. <laughs> yeah, like who would have solved a lot of problems? Because all it takes is just taking a knife and just throwing it into her shadow. <laughs> Tsubasa's all like, okay, I can go stop the laser from firing again. She goes, but she gets defeated and thinks about Kanade and whatever. And then Hibiki regains her senses, but she's lost the will to fight because two of her friends are now supposedly dead. Yeah, Tsubasa takes a big chunk out of the uh, the cannon. But Hibiki, she's all like, oh, I'm, I'm, I can't go on. And then Fine's just like curb stomping her repeatedly. Oh, yeah, just making fun of her, saying, I took an interest in you because of that shard in your chest. You're the you're the only one to be with the relics. It's like, how dare you go against my interest or something? I don't know. Uh, it's it's lame. The friends and everyone are trying to, like, be all like, oh, what what can we do to get Hibiki back back to fighting fit? And then they, and then they get some help from an old friend. Oh. <laughs> They get help from the random little girl that Hibiki saved in the first episode. Yeah, just she just shows up. <laughs> yeah, she's all like, no, I want to help this Sonesan because she helped me out back then. Yes, girl, we don't even know your name. <laughs> yeah, l little Susie or whatever your name is. Yes. Hibiki too. If <laughs> Tubiki. Tubiki. <laughs> <laughs> or not Tubiki. That's the question. 
<laughs> yeah, she is the proto two B from Neo Automata. She's the base. <laughs> <laughs> this round little girl became the base of two B. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to protect the world. <laughs> oh my god! She teaches us what it truly means to be human. Oh, that reminds me. Yeah, Otakon had one of those robots from Automata, but they were like had a it was all cardboard and they had a bra taped to the front and it just said we will become as broads <laughs> 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 whoever you are i loved your cosplay <laughs> become as bras become as bras <laughs> no broads as a d ah uh, yeah <laughs> or something like that it's it's been a couple weeks anyways yes oh so my gosh hey for some reason, they need to form a human pyramid to get to a button on top of a room to start the intercom at, say, the facility. They all start singing. <laughs> Sing, my angels of music. Sing for me. Yes, so all her friends start singing. Miku starts singing. It's a big spirit bomb moment. Hibiki gets the the will to fight back again because, you know, singing is a universal language. You don't need the uh, whatever blowing at the moon will give you. Hibiki explodes into a big flash of light that shoots to the sky and two more beams of light come out and everybody transforms into... Their final forms. We get the the pretty cure super forms for the Simpho Gears. Yes, we see Moltres, Zapdos, and Articuno. <laughs> yeah, they're the exact same colors as the legendary birds. <laughs> yeah, also, Habiki's outfit goes from, like, a dark orange to, like, a snot yellow. Yeah, it, with weird lemon awful. piping and shit. Ah, uh, it's ugly. Yeah, it's... I don't like the color at all. Also, Subasa's like, leg um, spears become flags. <laughs> Yeah, they get they get like uh, feathers at the end of them, looking like wings and shit. They look like weird scythes that she's taped to her shoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that—that's the biggest thing that just kept popping into my head while watching this. It's like I want to see how legit cosplay of this looks like. I mean, the cosplay looks better than the outfits, if you ask me, because they actually look practical. Because they have to be. Yeah, that's true. You can't just. Just saw a bunch of rubber and freaking latex on this, everything. Yeah, just use a lot of double-sided tape to get everything together. Oh, good freaking luck. I think they actually have okay outfits at the concerts, but I haven't seen a lot of those. I think we saw a clip of some of them, and it's like they're wearing dresses that are like inspired by the Sinfo outfits, which looks a lot cuter. Yeah, that's a lot cuter, but it's definitely not like a Love Live concert where they have the one-to-one outfits from the show. Yeah, like, they, they wish. I, I don't think they would. I don't, I don't think the VAs would allow that. <laughs> you can't book us if you make us wear this. Anyway, so yeah, they have the super forms, and Fine summons a million different noises, just cults the city in them. It is a stark visual. It's just a, ma- a sea of noises that are just engulfing the city. And the city just gets fucking destroyed by not only the noises, but also the Sinful Gear girls just, like, attacking everything. And it's like, okay, uh, I hope that everything got evacuated. Otherwise, so many people are dead. Oh, no, there are tens of thousands of dead here. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands. Like, this oh, is like God. Tokyo. 
this is it's just everything everything's just so death and destruction and no one's caring about anything yeah because everybody is just singing their big climactic song and blowing up everything and this big action sequence <laughs> yeah it's like oh i'm sorry you're all dying but listen to my song <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I believe the OP plays here, so they're all all blowing up the the noise, and this is where all the attention went, all the action, but budget and time and everything. Oh yeah, they saved everything for this final episode. Anyways, uh, so what happens to Fine? Oh, then she uh, summons all of the noise to her, and then she turns into the smooths from the My Little Pony movie. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can stop the smooths. Yeah, she's like some weird, like, ancient dragon that Genjiro says is like, oh, it's a marker of the end. And they just work together to get Durandal out of her body. Hibiki takes Durandal. She's like, Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. And then she slashes through it and wins. And then while she's getting all evil, is it Miku comes out and it's just like, Abiki, stop. Oh yeah, she's uh, she's slowly turning into evil Hibiki again, and then her friends are all like, no, don't do that, and then Miku's all like, Hibiki, don't, I believe in you, and then she can control the the, the evilness in her, And I then guess. she just shoots down Excalibur from Fate and destroys the dragon, and Fine is just in handcuffs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, everyone basically just gives Hibiki the believe the me and who, who believes in you speech, and then that's what saves her. Yeah, so... So yeah, they, they captured Fine. They're like, sorry, uh, you lost this time. What does Fine do? <laughs> Fine is all like, it's not over yet. And then she uses her whip swords to whip all the... She's on Earth, by the way. Yeah? <laughs> she whips all the way up to space to the moon and grabs that piece of the moon that got blown off and then pulls it down to uh, crash into the Earth. Again, this is just Sonic Adventure 2. Yes! You're going to start playing Live and Learn here in a second. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Live and Learn. 
hanging on the edge on of the, the edge air. of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And after she pulls it, she's all like, you can't stop it now. I have won. You know, just classically like evil. And Hibiki just comes up and is just like, okay, we'll blow it up. We'll be right back. And for some reason, this like makes her turn good. <laughs> yeah, like. Like, Hebes just boops Fine in the boobs, and then that she's just like, oh, I'm back to being Ryoko again. And then she just turns into dust in the wind while Hibiki gives a big old Taya Gardner friendship speech. Yeah, it's like, how did that cut through Fine? She's she's classically, like, Jafar evil. Yeah. You can't convince Jafar not to be evil. No, he'll show you how snake-like he can be. <laughs> Prince Ali. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, Fine's gone. She's gonna reincarnate into someone else if there's a single Simpho gear. So we'll see her in the future. Yeah. <laughs> also, they're crying about this too. Like Fine doing this all. Why are you all sad? Yeah, why is Chris crying at her abuser dying? It's so stupid. Like, she pulled the moon towards you all. She's doomed everyone, and she loves it. She shot you with a moonbeam, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't shed tears for her. Anyways, you want to explain how they end this? Uh, so uh, all the girls decided to go up and uh, stop that moon piece from destroying the Earth by uh, doing one big collective climax song, which is just basically all of them unleashing like their big superpowers and stuff, like Tsubasa getting more swords and uh, Chris getting like a whole arsenal of missiles to fire at the moon piece. And uh, Hibiki having just miles and miles and miles of ropes that just retract into her for the last punch. Yeah. Yeah, as like uh to add like some extra oomph to like each punch and stuff. And again, Sonic Adventure 2, it is literally Sonic and Shadow like stopping the space colony arc from flying into Earth. Which to be fair, if we were watching this weekly, this probably would have been a lot more mostly resonant because we wouldn't know there's four more seasons left. <laughs> like this this could have been like the finale where it's like, well, no more Simpho Gears, no more Fine, wrap it up. I would have given the series a lot of credit if they had killed off the Sinful Gears at the end of this. Yes, but no. What You want to paint the picture of what happens after they blow up the moon piece? Oh, boy. Jesus. Or do you want me to lose my crap over it? Oh, do you want to lose your crap over it? Okay, I'll paint the scene. Why not? <laughs> oh, take it away, Miss Prism. Okay, so what happens is they blow up the moon piece. You know, no shrapnel hits the earth, apparently. So that's good. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyways this was like a like a fifth of the moon by the way anyways uh we fast forward to where we started in the rain with miku she is just distraught because all three were pronounced dead when they couldn't find their bodies uh explains that the grave for habiki couldn't have her name on it for some reason like a treaty i guess it's unclear so she's at the grave site at the start, with just a picture of Habiki, you know, she's trying to move on. She's crying. She misses Habiki. It's all emotionally touching. Uh, then she looks over and sees a bunch of noise being summoned. So she runs over, saves some random lady, and runs her onto the highway, pulling her away from the noise. It's all dramatic. As she's trying to protect her with, you know, in front of her, 
there's a big gust of wind that blows the noise away. And Mika looks over and sees not just Habiki, but Tsubasa and Chris show up. And Habiki just goes, sorry, we had to keep a lot of secrets. And Miku just runs towards her, like, all happy and tears in her eyes, like, oh my freaking god. I would have lost my mind if my girlfriend would have said, I saved the planet, but now we can't find her. Like, I would have been grieving, I would have been sad, I would have been so distraught. And if she just shows up, just, oh, sorry, it's been three weeks, but uh, I know you've accepted my death, but... Uh, I'm back. Want a hug? I would have punched her in the face. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that's emotional manipulation. Miku knows about freaking oh section God. two. <laughs> oh, she... <laughs> I lost my mind at that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why did she not tell... Three weeks. Like, do you know how long three weeks she is? She talked to Genjiro. <laughs> like, even if they were in a coma, he could have just been like, Oh, we found them, but they're in a coma. But uh, we'll let you know when they're awake. Like, why did you yeah. keep her secret? It it makes no sense. It's like, it's like at least Joseph Joestar had an excuse to show up at his own funeral. He was too busy being nursed back to health. Exactly. Like, this isn't triumphant. This is emotional manipulation. Like, this girl was grieving for you for three weeks. <laughs> and, and they expect us to accept this, that that oh everything's fine now like they rush to the ending after this like oh i'm back three weeks okay everything's back to normal let's go see the shooting star it's curtain down bye yeah it it felt like someone slamming the door in your face as you just like saw like one glimmer of a thing (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's not how you should end this this isn't this isn't emotionally triumphant this sucks yeah this sucks like it would have been a lot more mostly resident if they just said like we can't find their bodies so we don't know and they showed up like all battered and bruised been like sorry miku we we were in the woods for weeks like that would have been better yeah or just like anything anything really not just keeping secrets yeah like if they said that they trekked freaking miles through the amazon to find civilization again that's at least an excuse that would have made so much more sense. Like, they landed off in the middle of, like, a nowhere country in, like, Europe or something like that. Yeah, but no, this is just emotional manipulation. Because why are they keeping secrets? They told Miku about this whole thing. Oh, yes. my God. Like, oh, jeez. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like, someone, please explain to me why this is your Othello. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why is this series so important to everyone? <laughs> please, someone, explain to me besides... This girl is best girl, or the action is good. I need to know. It's like, we can get that anywhere. We have no shortage of best girls and good action. Again, like, if you why want gear? singing while fighting, watch Review Starlight. If you want just action, watch, like, Kimetsu no Yaiba, or freaking Strike, which is better. Yeah, <laughs> literally anything. Oh my god. Though I feel Review Starlight would be too smart for these fans. Hey Oh god, I'm so freaking... I know, they probably improve things in later seasons, but it's like a freaking a lighter under a pool. At some point, it's not worth it. No, and it's like, we saw that second season, and, like, the storytelling goes down somehow. Yeah, like, it becomes amusingly bad to boring. Yep. <laughs> like, poor Maria, she does nothing besides get one scene at the start with Tsubasa, and then she flies a plane. 
Yeah, she's stuck flying that stupid jet and being all like, oh, you're the next Fine. Oh, surprise, you're actually not. It's one of these middle schoolers. Yeah, and she just, she's a mannequin for Hibiki to get Gunnir back. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Surprise, this is now Sephagir Part 2. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, we cannot do that. If we ever come back to this, we'll just do everything at once as a broad strokes thing. Call back to an older podcast. We'll do it like how me and Ryan did uh, Black Clover, where it's just like, yeah, we'll just cover 50 episodes in one go because this show sucks and there's like no substance to it. Yes, which honestly, if we ever do this again and we watch the end, I will be delighted if the last season is like the best thing I've ever seen. I would hope so. I would hope it's not all dark-sided black tar heroin. Oh, God, because, like, season two is so, like, it wastes all the opportunities it builds up. It sets up a whole lot of bricks, but it doesn't build anything. This series is frustrating to me because uh, it can be so much better. It can be, and, like, with the way people rave about it, there's no reason it shouldn't be, but it doesn't live up to any of those expectations. Yeah, like, I'm so sorry, Gear fans. I want to be on your side, but I don't see it. It's like, this, this is it, but it ain't it. This really ain't it. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how we can transition after this, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, any any more closing thoughts right here? Uh, Miku, best girl. She becomes a, a background character in season two, so that makes it even worse. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize if my first entrance into the podcast is my last. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I'm definitely bringing you back, whether the fans want to or not. Oh, really? Are we going to watch, like, One yeah. Day Egg or something? Oh, there's an idea. Mm, maybe. Mm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. That place has a story to it. It's at least 70% a good anime. Yes, like, I was ready to name that as my favorite anime ever, until the last four episodes. Oh, God, when they just completely drop the ball, drop the egg even, and where it's just, and they just had no time or money left which hurts a lot more than Symphogear, because at least that had potential <laughs> like it's worse when someone you respect slaps you in the face than just a guy that's on 12 glasses of whiskey runs out to the street and slaps you in the face yeah <laughs> 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 and there's your tag on here Symphogear is just about as fun as being slapped in the face by a homeless man <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, you know, discotech should call you and put that as uh, one of the quotes on their next Blu-ray release. <laughs> I'm glad I could be a good marketer for this show. Yeah. <laughs> all right, how about you? Any final thoughts? Oh, God, like, I feel like all of the hype made the series even more disappointing than it probably would have been. Oh, yeah. Because if there was no hype, this would have been just like, whatever, this is a nothing shit otaku anime, whatever. But the fact that fans for probably for like yeah 10 years now have been clamoring like watch Symphogear watch Symphogear it's the most anime anime that ever animated in anime it reminds me of my favorite animes but just it just does not work at all this feels like it just feels like a parody of anime in all honesty it feels like a game jam but for anime where they just said let's make an anime to sell these cds by the way, the first season of this anime sold poorly on home media. Like, the only reason we got more, and the only reason this whole thing was profitable, is because the CD sold well. Oh yeah, like the whole show is not for its own sake. It's to sell the CDs, because they had this 
all-star voice cast. Sure, a lot of anime do that. It's it's the nature of the business, but, like, they at least have, like, a good story. Like, Love Live, that's pretty much meant to sell CDs and stuff, but at least there's, like, a lot of heart and soul and, like, a really good story with, like, really good characters. Yeah, I could go on a whole, like, list of why I love most Love Lives. Niji's kind of eh, but... <laughs> Well, we'll let that be for now, but yeah, I deeply love Aqua, I deeply love uh, Layla, I like Muse, and I, I like Niji enough. Yeah, it's like, it's like the case with Love Live, it's it's kind of like pizza, even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. Oh yeah, there's like, still characters that I love, like, I like seeing Mia being awkward around cats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with her like, emo cut and like, eating cheeseburgers and loving baseball. Yeah. Also, speaking of uh, idol characters becoming heroes, Daya becoming a Kamen Rider in the freaking Yohane series is infinitely yeah. more hype than any Simpho Gear. Oh my god, like, I would just watch that show. Like, that a Daya spinoff where it's just her being, like, Kamen Rider with Ruby being, like, her, uh, her, like, sidekick. Like, I would watch the hell out of that. And, like, a show, that show alone would eat Simpho Gear's lunch. Oh, it would murder Simpho Gear. <laughs> like, give me simple gear, but love live and better outfits. Or, or even like the uh, the first opening of Zombieland Saga when they like uh, fight the aliens. Yes, give me that. Give me something better. Maybe I need to watch Macross, but still. Uh, I should probably watch Macross since I see people. That's another anime that people don't shut up about. Well, yeah, I'm not going with any expectations because I came into this with no expectations and I was still disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like that Malcolm in the Middle bit. It's like, I expected nothing, and I'm still disappointed. <laughs> like, imagine if I was hyped up for this because of all the, the hype of Watch Simpho Gear. Oh my god, <laughs> like, I feel like that would be even worse. It would! So stop overhyping this thing. You know, if they like their thing, I'm happy that they like it, but it doesn't hold to any critical scrutiny that I could possibly put it up to. It's okay to like an anime, but uh, this one not for us yes so thank you for having me on mikey oh yeah it's always a pleasure to have you on and uh we'll definitely like to have you on again yeah definitely <laughs> and uh fun fact this was my first podcast so hopefully i didn't uh meander too much listeners <laughs> so happy to have you uh pop your podcast cherry on on anime baby oh god don't put it that way mikey <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, but uh, thank you all for joining us for this very special Bono episode. I've been one of your hosts, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at Mikey Shiota on Twitter, not calling it the letter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shiota on the gram, and now Mikey Shiota on Blue Sky. And where can we find you, Prism? Uh, you can mostly find me on Twitter at Prism Icicle. Uh, you can also find me on Blue Sky at the same thing, Icicle Prism or Prism Icicle. I forget which one I got. Those are the main two I'm on. I'm there mostly talking about uh, Yuri or Magical Girls or whatever I'm into. And if there are any Simpho Gear fans who like to file a complaint, please, uh, at Maki Shioto on Twitter, he'll <laughs> gladly address those. <laughs> oh, you'll you'll get blocked from me, though. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bury you, and then I'll insta-block you if you try to shit-talk me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, follow Anime Baby on Twitter at Anime underscore baby that's anime underscore b-a-y b-a-y and follow us at ma.pavi.com apple podcast google podcast wherever you get your podcast and it feels good to be back in the saddle and thanks once again for, to miss prism for joining me for this episode thank you 
<laughs> Always delighted to spend time with you and even delighted that we're even doing pods now, which was a it's a it was a fun idea that you brought up and I'm I'm very glad we did this. Yes, yeah, I feel like this will be a very cathartic episode for both of us. Maybe not for the fans, but <laughs> Yeah. But uh it's 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 definitely a good episode for me to get back into the swing of things after my hiatus. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad I could get your creativity going again. And uh, you folks at home, let us know if you like this and would want more uh, Mikey and Prism episodes in the future. And if you didn't like it, well, screw you, we're going to do some more anyway. My show, my rules. <laughs> <laughs> Until that next episode, stay safe out there, be good to yourself and others, and this has been Anime, Anime Baby! baby. <laughs>